Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. You were right. I- I'm a rebel. I am. I just channeled my rebellion into the podcast. So we're just looking at the poster mm. and the tagline, and the tagline is very crummy. Makes it look like a very stupid movie. Mm. But the poster for this movie is so great, and it makes me miss painted posters. Sure. I mean, to, to remind you, you know the poster, yes, right? Of yes, of course. Iconic. Yes. But if someone did that today, it would be photoshopped, right? 100%. I also just don't think... There's something like very elegantly simple about like he's just coming in from the other side. He's upside down. And I, I, I feel like they just don't do that anymore. You know, yeah, I say, and heads. I know you, you haven't introduced me yet. So just how we like guests it. should talk on mic before okay, we introduce them. Great. Uh, it's the opposite it, of your podcast. It also is interesting because technically, in a movie like Drop Dead Fred or something like that, mm-hmm. the crazy character would be the one coming in upside Good down. Right. Right. And yet she is there almost as the grounding, centering force, mm-hmm. and his life has been turned upside down yeah. by it, which is well, interesting. that's a perfect take. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> He's in uh, that electric blue suit, too. Yes. Um, that is an interesting devolution, though, of, like, this is painted, and then what? Five or six years later, Drop Dead Fred is, like, clearly a posed photo, but you can tell that he is actually hanging upside down on the day. Yeah. The way they're looking at each other, it's clear that that was shot for real. Yeah, I don't I think so. so. You think this is for real? I think so. Do you disagree? Well, I now I think that's a photo. Yeah, the way the way their hair, you yeah. know what? Now is I sort of layered over each other. As a person who has done an upside down episode of my show, uh-huh. it is very difficult to get uh, people's hair to stand up the way that it normally would fall. Sure. Uh, when you're filming right side up, but then turning it upside down in post. Right. Good call. And that that to me looks like they basically slicked his hair up. My, the, the titular drop dead Fred, of course. Right. Of course. Uh, that's uh, kind of the classic uh, Rick Mayall hair height. <laughs> of you course. Know? That's right. He, he had a sort of bouffant mushroomy. Yes. Yeah. I got to say this, and it's uh, I, I this is not the right place to say it, but I just want to quickly. Where do you want to say it? I've talked. On Capitol Hill? I'd love to say it on Capitol Hill, and they will the not McLaughlin let me report. in. <laughs> Uh, I'd love I'd love to sit down with the group, mm-hmm. the McLaughlin group. But Bur- group, not report. What am I talking? About? I don't know. You're more. It's it's more of a group of guys. Group. They're it's not like reporting a, on anything. They're still they're going, right? Yeah. The McLaughlin Wolf Pack. Yeah. Um, we've talked in the past about how much uh, Al Pacino and my grandmother now look the same. Yeah. How they mm. have similar sort of levels of fake tan and hair height. The hair height. Right. Just does, sort of like. Pacino, does he have the mullet kind of thing going on too these days? Yeah, yes. a lot of length in the back. And a yeah. lot of like layers. Sweeping it's a it lot back. of like right. little pieces sticking up. He almost up. has the Rachel going on, doesn't he? He kind of has the Rachel going on. And he's got weird highlights like that too. Like his hair is like yeah. a sort of sandy brown with blonde streaks in it. The thing yeah. that's funny is that De Niro has also favored the. The long hair yes. now, but like he just sort of, you know, he just grew it yeah, back. Whereas right. Pacino, right, there's something going Pacino on. Pacino does have the longer in the back than he does on the top. Yes. Also, and this one has a real Did like, I say Lucifer beard. He's got a, yes. Okay. I meant to uh, yes. I also feel like Pacino dresses like my grandmother now. And then I went to yeah. see The Irishman, which is the most Pacino has been in a character, like giving himself to a character. Oh, really? Oh, in a theatrical film in probably 15 years mm. where he's really Ooh, like. Uh, yeah, right, right. Where he's doing the classics. No, but where he like looks different and he's doing a different voice and he's yeah. not just relying on all the old mannerisms. 
And the entire time I couldn't get my grandmother out of my head. <laughs> like he's Jimmy no, Hoffa and he's got her. the slick back hair. Yeah. Wait until you see the Irishman. You're going to keep on thinking. Uh, I thought in the, in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was kind of different. Oh, he's great. In I, I was forgetting that that also existed. That. He's Plus. really good in it. Yeah. Yeah. He's having fun again. He is having fun. I also like that you then see him later, like lumbering around in his home theater and, you mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah. seems like he has a nice little life. <laughs> yeah, he's got an interesting waddle in that. He's movie. got a good waddle. Because of the Irishman. Underneath his neck? Is I that mean, what we're talking about? Well, there's, there's a little going on there. That too, but I was also saying he's got he's got a little bit of an Oswald Cobblepot gate sure. in Once Upon a yeah. Time in Hollywood. He should be in Batman. He should. Come on. He should play, dare I say it, the clown The Batman. <laughs> what if he were Batman? What if he were he's Batman one of the best act- Yes, he's yes. one of the best actors of our generation. Why should he not play Batman? And Matt Reeves, if you ask him, he would Al Pacino, the guy has an Oscar. Yeah. Did you see The Godfather? Yeah. This, this guy's guy great. Oscar. <laughs> and when someone when someone has honed their craft into a fine blade, uh-huh. has ascended to the top of the mountain oh, of sure. the art, right. the reward they, is the reward is playing Batman. You gotta play the Batman. <laughs> I'm uh, looking for clues. <laughs> Who me? Who are? Who me? I'm uh, the Batman. He could just sort of like sculpt his hair up into ears, I guess, right? You yeah. got the height. You got to cut out some holes in this mask. <laughs> got to have on. the hair poking through. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant eye holes. I oh, like, <laughs> I can't see. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out your scene. He's, they didn't cut eye holes out in the mask. <laughs> and so he goes to the costume designer saying, you got to cut holes in this mask. It's got to cut holes. I was like, okay, interesting premise. I can't breathe. Ahead. He's talking Alfred. He's talking Alfred. Right. Yeah. He's talking, talking Alfred. Alfred. And then do a swap. Make oh. Alfred Robert Pattinson. Uh, Robert Pattinson's got that classy British yeah. touch. Yeah. Elegant. He's a very normal, angular. elegant man. Right. Yes. Yeah. Or make, or make it Radcliffe or someone like that. With yeah. Pacino. This is a dynamite idea for a Batman movie. I feel kind of bad that we, we're going to cost Warner Brothers so much in sunken development right now. Right. No, yeah. They're going to have to just put it in turn around. They're just going to hear this and yeah. reset. Went, oh, old Al. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. It, it is uh, so funny having recently rewatched uh, Casino in preparation uh, for The Irishman. Sure. And I, and I saw. Uh, Why do you need to watch Casino to prepare for The Irishman? I want to reacclimate <laughs> with the Scorsese mob patina. Okay. Also, okay. you went to a casino recently. Enough, I went to a so casino. I want to prepare. Trying to get that juice back. How to win money. Right. I watched the film Casino. Right. <laughs> and only learned uh, how to get murdered. Yeah, yeah in a cornfield. Cards. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's so funny that. Uh, in Casino. Uh, casino. Casino. Uh, De Niro's uh, defining characteristic is that he's Jewish. Right. And then the Irishman, his defining characteristic is that this he's Irish. This guy's so Irish. Yeah, and he's Again, like. Again, I wish I didn't know that, but thank you. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to connect the dots on the title. Well, that, I really did. Yeah. You thought it was just like a, no, an I, ironic nickname. I will say that I I prefer not knowing anything about any movie. Sure. And sure. So I was talking to Adam Scott on our REM show the other day about the Irish, and he was saying how great it was. And I was like, yeah, but De Niro, Pacino, they're not Irish. And he goes, and, le-, and then he told me something about it on air. And I was like, well, I wish I didn't know. And now knowing that uh, 
De Niro plays the titular Irishman. I also wish yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, I apologize. Yeah. It, it, it's there from the beginning of the movie. It's true. But they okay. keep on going That's like, right. this guy's so fucking Irish. <laughs> no, he's not. Right. It's like, A, I don't know if it's just because of his cultural position, but he looks more Italian than anyone in the world to me. <laughs> De Niro. Does he try an Irish like, hi? <laughs> he does. I don't. I know you said you don't he's want to know anything else about hat, the movie. Right. Does he drink Jameson constantly? He's yeah. carrying around a pot of gold the entire uh, time. It's, it's, it's well, a little offensive. Well, in The Departed, didn't Nicholson try to do the Boston yes. for like a couple of scenes? Right. He is right. in and out of that yeah. accent. Yeah. I'm so Boston. <laughs> Get me some chowder. And then... Uh, Wicked Rob, stupid. Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting also tries it, and I just yes. wish that he didn't. People can be from all over. Totally. You know what I mean? You can you can talk like however you talk from all over the world because There's, people right. move to different cities from all over. You don't need to like re, you know get into right. there if you can't. He nail doesn't it. need to be Irish. If, I'm yeah, Boston. Right. You know, he doesn't if, need to be like a Boston that guy. That famous yeah, and that, that iconic. Right. It's like people you, will go with it. You want to take the Sean Connery approach, where it's like, "Yes, I'm from Russia." Yeah, right. exactly. Clark Gable. Yes, yes. Not Clark Gable. Who? Cary uh, Grant. Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yes. But you, Cary Grant. But also Clark Gable. Clark Gable too. Yeah. Just yeah. be classy. Right. Just, just yeah, pick a exactly. voice, just pick and that's your, your voice. Yes. Right. Patrick Warburton. Yes. Just do that. Mm-hmm. Like uh-huh. he can be from wherever. I would buy it. Yes. <sighs> yeah. Oh, I know. I I uh, I had never met him before. That was him. That was him in Empire Strikes Back. By the way. Yeah, that's him. Yes. I love you. I know. <laughs> Just for that one line, he tagged in. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, I was trying to do him in that Alamo commercial or whatever he's sure. in where he goes, in, hey, Patrick, looking good. I know. <laughs> but instead, I... Uh, I never met him because mm-hmm. he was the other He's tech. the other tick. Uh, oh, yeah. There's some tick rivalry going on. Is he the voice of the tick in the cartoon? No. No. no okay. He was That's in the, he was in the live action. Coleman, no, of course. I know. I know. I, I forgot. I know. Yeah. Three different actors have yeah. played the role. Um, but, but I met him recently doing like a, a comic convention and he was like, I'm sorry that my voice is so fucked. I've been fighting the fires up in the, near my home. And he's I've been fighting fires. He's like running in with like buckets of water. Well, I was like, how's it been going? And he's like, well, uh, my brother-in-law's a firefighter. So okay. he came down, he fought it himself. And I was like, you just brought in a fireman to like, to help out. Wow. But also to, like, just be like, take care of my home. Uh, but also his voice sounded so fucking good. Yeah. That I was so jealous that that was him being like, my voice is gone. We, I, I can't do an impression of him. On uh, one of my other shows, Freedom, we were talking about uh, these actors, and they seemed primarily to be around in the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s and maybe the 70s, who basically they found a funny way of talking, and then their <laughs> yes. career was set. Reverse engineered from that. And so it's the, yeah. the guy who talks like this. Right. Right. Walter He's Brennan won a, yeah. three Oscars? Four? Four? I think he got two. I think he, he got three. I believe he or has more the all-time record. But um, yeah, but Patrick. I was trying to think of a modern equivalent, and yeah. Patrick Warburton is the is yes. the modern equivalent. Yeah. he found a funny way to talk. Yeah, he did it on Seinfeld. He's talked like it ever since. Yeah, and he his he can he can coast. Yes, just because he figured out that funny way to talk. But his voice is his. That's his bread and butter, right? I mean, right, he must be worried about the fires. Yeah, but it still sounded so good. You think he's insured good. his voice? It has to be, right? Yeah, his vocal cords. Yeah, yeah if should J-Lo's we all insure our insured? vocal cords? We should all insure his vocal cords. Was her butt? Was her entire butt insured? Was like the butthole also insured, or is that a different insurance? Scott, what a great question, and what a great moment to introduce you. <laughs> this is Blank Check. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career, and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. 
This is a mini-series on the films of Jonathan Demme. It's called Stop Making Podcasts. That's right. And our guest today from Freedom, from You Talking You Two to Me, from Comedy Bang Bang, the TV show and the podcast, is Scott Ackerman. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on. I, it was by request. What a joy. Uh, I, I, I appreciate demand. it. But I did not demand. I did, This was not on he demand. He requested. I heard the episode. Yes, it was a request. Yes, you did say I would He didn't, do like, that. grab you by the lapels. Yes, yes. Um, I have to imagine the cheeks were insured. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Well, I'm that's sorry. what I'm saying. Obviously, the cheeks are insured because that's the thing that makes J-Lo's that's butt J-Lo's the money butt. Maker. Right. We, uh, you know, uh, that's just the topping on the butthole, though. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's butthole is relatively the same. I would imagine the diameter of it. I, I mean, I've heard some incredible things about her butthole, but <laughs> I do think with J-Lo, um, you're like, well, if she lost any mass in the cheeks— it that's, would affect her performance. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Is like the butthole. I'm sure the inspectors came and said, "Well, you just have a regular butthole. We're right. not going to insure that because you have the butthole everyone has." And if her butthole got damaged, you know, God forbid, it would. Yeah, affect, God forbid. Please, let's it, make sure that we're saying that it would affect her day to day living. She would have yeah. a tough time. Sure, she would have to suddenly. Sit in seats that have cushions, right? You know, whereas right now she can go. She basically she can go on the the just most uncomfortable bench in a in Dodger she Stadium can go anywhere and just be like, oh my god, I could sit here for hours. And I know we're inside like showbiz shop talk, but that really is her reputation in Hollywood. People go like, J Lo's incredible. She's such a pro. She can shit anywhere. <laughs> Did you say shit or sit? Both. <laughs> I Googled this, but I just got to a very weird website. Oh, you Googled whether her butthole mm-hmm. is insured? No, okay. not, I mean, you know. Okay. But here, come on, read some. Look, look, read some of it. Ben, come on, okay. give me this headline. Come it on, just ben. has the greatest headline. Are copper pennies an effective treatment for bee stings? I never, don't know. Never knew. To rub them? Bee stings? <laughs> like if someone beasts you, goes into beast mode? I mean, I remember uh, hearing that if you put pennies in your mouth when you're drunk driving, you can like bypass oh, the breathalyzer. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. I, I am so not Sounds surprised. Like, but I can tell you, way to die. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't right. work. It doesn't I can work. tell you firsthand. Yeah. Um, how about this one? Uh, uh, asparagus does it cure cancer? That's another question people apparently are These are the results you are got? You just, yeah, you just like, looking up I'm questions. On, I'm on some website questions. that pr- purports to answer the J-Lo Ask question. Jeeves, what's a question? And then it has populated like other sort of weird okay. questions that the people ask. The most commonly asked. asked. Yes, yeah. I, just, I, rem- I vividly remember that being a New York Post headline probably. It was in like 1999. Right, you know, for like, like five that, straight days yes. they were just milking that. Like how much is each yeah. cheek worth? Usually you milk up top. Uh, well... <laughs> Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so you introduced the podcast, right? I did. Okay, good. I'm Griffin. I'm David. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. That was the only thing I didn't introduce. Oh, okay. But this is a miniseries on the films of Jonathan Diamond. Yeah, you said that. You said that. And uh, a, a couple of weeks ago uh, on Comedy Bang Bang, although by now when this episode comes out, it will have been longer. Ago. Long ago. Uh, some random man uh, came mm-hmm. on your podcast yeah. and chose at the end to promote my canceled TV show and podcast. And you then offered to him that you would hypothetically want to be on the Something Wild episode, which thankfully I heard. Yes. (laughs) Well, you're a listener of the show. Regular listener. Of course. Uh, Yes. By request and uh, 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 wanted to do this episode because I love this movie so much. So, uh, and who better than I (laughs) to talk about this movie? A man who saw it opening weekend. Sure. 
Uh, and I said to David, I said, I think Aquaman maybe wants to do something well. And he went, that makes so much sense. Oh, uh, okay. It is yeah. kind of a movie where I go, of course this is a film you love. Like everything right. I've ever heard you say about your artistic inspirations, mm-hmm. your passions, the people whose work you like the most, mm-hmm. everything in your sensibility feels very – like it, it's all collected in this movie in a certain way. Yeah, That's interesting. And I, I watched it again two days ago and – I think my perspective on it has changed a little bit, so uh, but uh, I'm interested in in talking about that as well. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jonathan Demme. I mean, I also thought I think of you as a Talking Heads fan. Yes, and that was the reason I saw this movie in the first place. Yeah. Is because yeah, sure. uh, in 1985, I got very into the Talking Heads because Stop Making Sense had just come out. I had right. obviously heard Burning Down the House before, but I I had a, a best friend who was into a lot of great music who got me into stuff. And so we would listen to the Stop Making Sense soundtrack a lot. And I was like, I got to see this movie. I got to see this movie. And it was not playing anywhere really in Orange County at the time. For some reason, maybe it it had been out too long at that point. I can't recall. I think it came out late 84, something like that. Yeah. So my friend and I drove up to Hermosa Beach to see it, um, which was a bit of a, a trek for us. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. And I think it was like a Wednesday night or something like that, watching Stop Making Sense and just like dancing around in my seat and all that. And, and uh, you know, I'm the type of person when I see something I like, I then investigate it and then I try to immerse myself in, in the people's other work mm-hmm. as well, you know? So uh, not to the extent where I've really seen any other Jonathan Demi movies. <laughs> We no. were talking about this the other well, night. Well, you, you did shout out Married to the Mob as well. No, Married to the Mob. Right, I, right. I basically, I, I dropped off after. Philadelphia. Probably, yeah, after Philadelphia. Yeah. I, I I think he's, we were talking about this. He stopped making not only sense, but mm. movies. Uh, sure. Um, so they became fewer and far between. And it feels like the, the sensibility that you respond to most strongly was this run of like. The more something quirky, wild, Married to the Mob, right. Stop yeah. Making Sense, anarchic kind of comedies. Yes, as, and as much as I like Married to the Mob, I think it uh, leans a little too heavily on the cartoonish stuff mm-hmm. that this film does not. I, I, not having seen this film in a couple of years, having mm-hmm. rewatched Married to the Mob recently for the show, yep. uh, was surprised, even though I feel like so much of this movie's reputation, the way it's cited the most is, oh, it's this movie with this incredible tonal shift. Yes. Right. I feel like that's the thing everyone always throws out. Is like this. I had never really seen a movie that had a tonal shift at the time. And I think that's – I've responded to different things about it the few different times I've seen it. And I, I was trying to sort of like go back in time and, and think of what I liked about it when I was 16 and watched it opening weekend because it was Jonathan Demme, David Byrne did the – the, the, the theme song. song. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I I did not know who I don't think I'd seen Purple Rose of Cairo yet. So I don't think I knew who Jeff Daniels was. I did not know who Melanie Griffith was. I just was in for Jonathan Demi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um and what I think I responded to it the first time I ever saw it was uh first of all, I think I identified with the Jeff Daniels character because um I think all movies were sort of directed at me, a middle-class <laughs> white guy. <laughs> yeah. And so... Both tall men. Yeah. And, and his performance was very funny, and I so I just identified with him and felt like everything that was happening to him could happen to me. Um, and I, you know, pretty straight-laced upbringing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But also the tonal shift was the, was the thing that I had never really seen in a movie like that, where it was 
very funny, very charming, very um, energetic and quirky, and then suddenly got very dramatic and violent. Yeah, and that it, that it pulled that off. Yep. That it kind of tied to the success of that shift. It it immediately made Ray Liotta a star. Because yes, I feel yeah, like the, the buzz true. is like, oh, this guy comes in and he changes the temperature of the movie immediately. Right. Yeah. Like he takes over the film. Yeah, and he'd he, never been in anything. He yeah. was, he well, was a nobody. Well, he'd been in a soap opera right, right, for right. a number of years. Yeah, and that's not nothing. Another world. I'm so sorry. I forgot about that he was on Another World, yes. Um, but it, it made Joey him Joey Perini number two is how he was credited. Oh, okay. Do you know that off of this, Leota was uh, Tim Burton's original choice for Batman? Yeah. I, mean, I think we talked about it on the Batman episode, you right? you got to get Pacino. Well, that's yeah, the thing. And he tried, but... <laughs> Pacino, he was in the Sea of Love. Pacino screen tested for Burton. He was like too young. There's something too <laughs> vital. If, I mean, if I were making this 35 years from now, sure, maybe. happily, yeah. So with Leota, was he just like that guy has that kind of like maniac sort of you know? I think that's the thing. I mean, Burton's that, talked so much about how his whole take on the character was he wanted him to be like an insane person, right? Right. And like Keaton obviously got to that sort of like bottled mania. But I think he liked how scary uh, yeah. Ray Liotta was. Liotta's also – does he regret – did he turn it down or did the studio say He no? said he flat out turned it right. down because Liotta's he thought it was one of those, silly. Yes. Yeah. He's one of those guys who is sort of like – I remember I saw some interview with him about Field of Dreams. He's like, yeah, that movie's stupid though. Baseball field. <laughs> the ghosts. Ah, that's Shoeless like, Joe, put some goddamn <laughs> shoes on. He just <laughs> he he seems oddly dismissive about like a lot of the sort of highlights of his career. I saw him do an interview recently where he was like, that was such a stupid decision on my part. Sure. Like, not obviously, to do Batman? Yeah, I don't know like, that he would have done Goodfellas if he had been in Batman. Probably that's not. Point, right. and, he, and he was like, Keaton did a better job than I could have, but it was dumb of me uh, to, yeah. to just dismiss turn it, it out of hand. Yeah, well, especially when like the work dries up and you're doing you know, those smoking commercials or whatever he's yeah. doing now. Chantex works for Ray. <laughs> I like that he keeps self-identifying as Ray in those commercials. He's like, people come to me, they're like, Ray, it's Ray. a new Ray. Ray! 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 Raymond! Which, by the way, he is called Ray in this movie, which is yes. so yes. funny. I, it, it, I, I don't have any evidence to this, but I almost wonder if it was written as Ray or whether it was just like, he says Ray, he says his own name in that way so well. Yeah. We just got to change. He's a, a lifetime Ray. of He's experience. Ray. Ray. Self-identifying. Ray! Ray. Uh, it's such a good it. name for this guy. He is also like, not to get ahead of the movie, but it's, uh, I, I, I saw uh, Goodfellas on the big screen recently. Sure. Yeah, of course you do. You watch Casino. You did. I know. <laughs> yeah. You were steeping yourself. I was steeping. Steeping like tea. <laughs> Um, but having watched his face a lot in the last couple of weeks, mm. he is so fascinating looking because there is something so scary and hard about him and something simultaneously so delicate. Well, and, yeah, like, he's sort of very pale him. and right. He has kind Pop of marks. Yeah. In yeah. Way. Interesting right. features. Right. But he's got these like like startling blue eyes yeah, and he's like he very like delicate eyelashes. In this yes. movie. He does. He's got the long eyelashes. Yeah. 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 And then this sort of like pursed mouth. He like simultaneously looks like a hooligan like a male model. You it's know? crazy. He he. I mean, his his introduction into the movie and his final scene in the movie is almost like, "Look, I'm a movie star." Yeah. Uh, you you know when, when he does the hair thing, essentially, oh. it's just basically like there is no purpose for him to do it either time, other than to be like, "I am effortlessly cool," right. and. Right so magnetic that this looks amazing when I do it. It is this thing I love. It is a very rare phenomenon, mostly because most uh, scripts don't allow for this kind of thing. 
but when an actor enters into a movie and, and becomes a movie star yeah. immediately. Yeah. You know, when, when Especially a, in a movie a like this actor, where the narrative is almost right. him being like, hey, I'm here right. and I'm in charge of the movie now. Right. Right. You're exactly. Right. Yeah. Halfway through the movie, yes. it's basically right. he he wanders in from the side of the frame and is like, hey, how's it going? Hey, you. Yeah. Hey, hey, right. And, and then suddenly it's the Ray Liotta film. Right. Yeah. You know. But like Jack Black entering the, the record store for the first time in High Fidelity is mm. like an immediate, like that's, a, now he's a movie star. Now his, mm-hmm. his quote just went up. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like Ed Norton in Primal Fear. Like movies where it's like someone who like had sort of been percolating around the sides or or hadn't been doing anything. The Minions. The Minions. Sure. I mean, sure. Do you remember when they first showed up on screen? I had never seen that movie. And I went, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah. How, where have they been? Same. Have I not seen them before? Were they on another world? Did you you saw Donald Trump where he just he sort of pats the head in of Home the Alone minion? Too? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What a good. Wait, he just entered and was a movie star at that point. Immediately. <laughs> Point into the bathroom. You're like that guy knows where the bathroom is. He takes uh, so many dumps. He knows exactly where it is. <laughs> His head is on a swivel when it comes. To this bathroom. guy's king of the shits. <laughs> By the way, here's my not to get political. Okay, but here's my theory about Donald Trump. Oh boy. So he moved into the White House. Remember, it was like a big thing of like, will he move into the mm-hmm. White House sure, or right. not? And yeah. then his security detail is like, I don't know. He lock. He wants to lock the door, and he and then he spends all morning in bed and all that kind of stuff. I think he's jacking off constantly. Oh, wow. I think he's got a thing where he's like, you can't, I won't attempt to do a Trump, but he's like, you can't just wander into my room whenever you want. I'm jacking off in here. So he's sort of got a 13-year-old boy kind of mentality. You're saying you think he does like six-hour straight J.O. sessions? Yeah. It's Jack Off City there in the White House. Right. And and the only time he leaves his room is when he's like, uh, does anyone have right. a uh, gold bond? I'm dry. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, all right, time to do an hour of work. Yeah. And then he goes back in. You know, the crazy thing that's come out semi-recently is that apparently why he's like so private about everything and like locks himself in for so long is that he needs glasses. Sure. The, he, but he doesn't, he doesn't want like people to, to see him with the phone. wearing glasses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so that's why, like, no one ever sees him tweet. I was holding my phone close to my face. Yeah. I'm realizing yeah. But it's also why he fucks everything up on the teleprompter. Sure. That he yeah. thinks glasses make him look weak. I will say the teleprompter thing, you know, there's that thing where he basically, like, if he makes a mistake on the teleprompter, he incorporates it yes. and into the sentence like mm. it, like he meant to say it. You I mean, know? it's good improv. It's like, that's 101 kind of stuff. It's what I end up doing on every time I read an ad. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, because I don't want to take another take of it. God, so right, it's no. like, right. you just got to incorporate it and, and work with it. You know, I respect him for that. Um, something wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's his. It's his follow up to stop making sense. Mm-hmm. A mere year after that film. Yes, um, it's uh, it's right or a year and a half. Maybe. Year and a half. Yeah. Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, like, because he had this. So he's this. You know, Roger Corman filmmaker. And then he makes Melvin and Howard, which wins an Oscar and gets yeah, him out. becomes the hot new guy. Then he makes this movie Swing Shift that's this like horrible protracted fight with Goldie Hawn over the cut and that kind of ruins him. I would be interested to see that like what he wanted to do. Uh, you we can have see it, it and we can slip it yeah, to you. So, oh, okay. It's yeah, another it's, movie you're going to slip to me though. Yeah, I watch. also slip Scott uh, the musical cut of I'll Do Anything. Sure. Which sure. you, you have been afraid to watch but you have on Don't your hard drive. Don't do it Scott. It's I awful. Wanna, I, I mean that, it's interesting but it's not an improvement. The Swing no, Shift director's cut you're like oh that this, oh, really? this is okay. better. It's the this opposite. Is you watch of, uh, the theatrical version and you're like well maybe his version's a little better but there's not a great movie here. And then you watch his cut and you're like wow editing is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. Um, I've never seen the theatrical, so I... D- you don't need to. You don't yeah. really need to. Yeah, it's kind of not important. Um, 
but but that takes up several years of his life. It kind of kills his and spirit. And it kind of it kills his spirit. That's and he does stop making of. sense right after that. And, and that experience is so more. rejuvenating to him that he goes, this is what I want to do. I want this energy. I want this collaboration. I'm not going to do a movie that isn't fun. I'm not going to work with people I don't love. Um, and so something Wild Married to the Mob feel very influenced by Talking Heads in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, they feel like— And they both like, have David Byrne, you know, collaborating yeah. on the music and things like that. Yes. Uh, David Byrne's former wife plays the waitress in this, mm-hmm. uh, Adele Lutz, who is also in Beetlejuice. Hmm. Um, but, but yes, it— I did not know that. Uh, well, yes, Johnny. And um, the rest of the Talking Heads are in, somewhat involved because Jerry Harrison's on the soundtrack as well. Yeah. This and then uh, Tom Tom Club is on the soundtrack of Married to the Mob. Yeah. Right. But it feels like he kind of takes something from them of like filmmaking should feel like this. Collaborative a joyful, and, right. collaborative. Yeah. Feel, it feels like New York City in a way. Oh, this I think is such so. a good New York movie. Even though it's barely in New York. I know. I, know, I agree yeah. with you. Um, it's also a great New Jersey movie. It is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, in Vermont. The, yeah. Yeah. Going to New Jersey can be very discombobulated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could end up in a seedy hotel. Right. Uh, probably but th- will. But this movie becomes the first like sort of test run of his. I, I'm going to have fun every time. Yeah. I can't control how the movie is going to turn out, but I'm going to make sure that making it is but fun. He, and that tries to translate. He's gathering screen. all these young actors who are not. I don't think like proven names yet. Like Jeff Daniels, yes, he's done Terms of Endearment right. and uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. He's Kyra. like the one actor who doesn't get an Oscar nomination for Terms of Endearment, and sure. then Purple Rose of Cairo, where he's a very late recasting. Because right, that right, movie right. was Michael Keaton. Right. They shot two or three weeks with Michael Keaton. Jeff Daniels could have been Batman. I mean, I mean, a few things. You no, know, the dominoes fall differently. Yeah, I didn't know that about Michael Keaton. Yeah, I didn't. know It was that. Michael Keaton. There are photos of him doing. Oh, sure. Hey, Suddenly got two Johnnies here. Yeah. Um, their photos of Michael Keaton, they said he was just too modern, which kind of makes sense. There's sure. something fundamentally very kind of modern day metropolitan. So about, Woody was like, you get, uh, you're too modern here. Suddenly you I'm know? here. Two I Johnny's, love, one Woody. I, I love you, Michael, but you're too modern. I love that I your impression you. is always the I love you. It's, the guy, it's when he's it's like apologizing. The center. <laughs> I love you, the you know? I mean, yeah. we I mean, just, come on. Uh, come on. Yeah. You know, I know we, we have to go to therapy, but I love you. It's, he's so sorry. <laughs> They're walking down the stairs in his apartment or something. Maybe he's, yeah. he's basically trying to get someone into the bedroom at that point. Right. He's right. like, yeah, come on. You right. Know? Totally above board. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Melanie um, Griffith. Yes. She's a young actress, right? And she's in things like Roar, and obviously she's Tippi Hedren's daughter. I, I was reading through her Wikipedia, and it was crazy how she's like 26 in this movie. Sure. Is that right? Maybe a little older, 27 or 28. But she had already kind of lived four lifetimes. Sure. Yeah. Because she starts acting when she's 13. She's obviously like second generation Hollywood royalty. She starts dating Don Johnson when she's 14 years old, mm. and he is nice. 22, <laughs> which rules. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, depiction is not endorsement. Well, as I, I believe I've told you about this, but Scott, have you ever seen Don Johnson's uh, spouse one and spouse two not named on his Wikipedia page? Interesting. Very strange. He spouse married two unknown two. women before he was 22 years old. Right. That he does not want to say. Who right. They are. Or I guess their identities remain a mystery. Right. And then he married Melanie Griffith twice. Yes. yes. It's 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 a it, it tells a whole story. His little uh, an Wikipedia. interesting guy. <laughs> and the Melanie Griffith run is crazy because it's like her her marriage run is like Don Johnson 79 to 79. 
Right. Then it's like Stephen Bauer, 79 to 86. Right. Don then Johnson. Johnson, too, 86 to 80. Like, there's no gap in between. She marries and divorces within the same year every time. Yeah. Sure. So it's it's Johnson, Bauer, and then, Johnson, and, Banderas. And then Banderas. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which always was one of the weirdest celebrity couples. They were couples together for a very long time. But that always He felt- still loves her. Like he he's always giving his interviews. Like, I love her so much. Right. Musinex. Like family. Yeah. <laughs> I give her the music. Musinex, honey. Yes. I shall bring it in. I clear the phlegm <laughs> from a throat. The medicine cabinet. Oh, boy. Um, but that, she, she uh, talk about turning into a star though. I had never seen her before. And from mm-hmm. minute one of this movie, she also was a star. Well, she me. was like her a, only big role. I feel like before this is body double, the, uh, De Palma. Yeah, that was her, her breakthrough, only, yeah, exactly. but she had been in things like night moves. That was no, like a big I movie know, for I, her yeah, yeah, where yeah. she was very young. And like from the beginning, it was very publicly known that she had like major addiction problems. Right. So I feel like she was one of those actresses where it was like, here's this like up and coming teen who immediately is succumbing to, like, cocaine and alcohol. Right. And it's constantly on and off the wagon. And she's got the famous mom. So that, she's got know, the famous mom. She married young. Like, all of it. She was more sort of, like, in a way, before her time tabloid fodder in that sort of sense. And then Body Double was the one where it was like, oh, this is a real actress. She's so good mm-hmm. And then Something Wild's the year after that. And then Working Girls the year after Something Wild. Is that correct? Or is there uh, two years? Oh, no, Working Girls 80, 80, 88. 88, yeah. yeah. So it, I feel like Working Girl is where she finally became the movie star. But for me, this was it because I'd yeah, never heard totally. of her. Totally. Yeah. And what's crazy is I was like, right, Working Girls like the turning point for her. She gets the Oscar nominations, a huge star. And then her 90s suck. Yeah. Yeah. Like I in mean, a certain she, way, it was these three was performances it. in a row crystallized. Like she it's, worked with three great directors, got three good parts. It's so terrible for actresses out it's there. It's fucking yeah. awful. I, I was working for a company once and, and we were talking about a script, not my own, but someone else's. And I was like, don't you think you have to make this female part a little more interesting and like beef it up and, yeah. and strengthen the motivation, like to really attract a good actress? And they were like, no, any actress wants to do this kind of stuff. I go, what, what do you mean? They're like, we can get anyone with this. Right. <laughs> and like, sure enough, they did. I don't want to say yeah. the film, but they got a major Hollywood star to do it just the, the yeah, way it was written. Because parts are crazy. so sparse. Because they're right. so sparse. Yeah. And, and I can understand, like, suddenly you're, you're Melanie Griffith. You do Working Girl. The whole movie is about you. And then another four years goes by and there is not a movie about a woman. That's what's so nuts was I was looking at her <laughs> They 90s. had two and yeah. someone else got there. You know, Julia yeah. Roberts got right. one. And- right. But I feel like the legacy was like from that moment, everyone decided she was a major star. She sure. was like a serious actress to be reckoned with and like a box office force. And then you look at her 90s and within well, two years she's, she's playing in, like the wife in thrillers. Well, she's yeah. in like she's in Bonfire of the Vanities, and which is sort of thriller. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, which yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, Bonfire of the Vanities. That's but, true. But that Tom would, Hanks and Bruce Willis, you know, survived that movie. That's no problem. 90? That's yeah, 90. but then she yeah. did a terrible accent in it. She, right. she, her accent. She's not great in that movie. But it is kind of weird that she's the one who got dinged the most from that. I mean, in it, terms of after that, because then it's like Pacific her, Heights. Paradise, Milk Born Money. Yesterday, Nobody's Fool. She's like the fourth lead or yeah. whatever. You know. And nobody's yeah, full I mean, is the best of these movies, but her yeah. smallest role. Uh, Mulholland Falls. Remember that one where they're they're all yeah. in the hats. Yeah. yeah, they all got hats and guns. Where and Nick stuff. Nolte can't stop fucking women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Cecil B. Demented is good. Yeah, Cecil B. Demented is kind of like someone remembering that she could be right. At magnetic. that point, that's like 10 years that's later. 2000, yeah. Yeah. And it's doing a John Waters movie where he's like having to take her to like the the outro zones of. Well, that's the thing is, yeah. is they're literally. 
a, a guy can get heat in a movie and an Oscar nomination, and there are fifty yeah, right. parts yeah. yes. that all focused on a white guy of that age. Jeremy Renner the next year suddenly had you know seven I mean? franchises. Yeah. Yeah. But long, for Melanie yeah. Griffith, it's like okay, I'll play what wife and what you know. Right. There's just there aren't the parts out there, and she yeah. she has such a specific thing going on. Yeah, yes. you know, I mean, her voice Two is like, <laughs> well, okay, Scott. <laughs> But in this, she kind of she kind of messes with it, and then halfway through, she sort of reveals herself uh, more as classic Melanie Griffith. Right? She, yeah. I yeah. mean, she has that voice that sounds She's so much voice. like a cartoon animal yeah. that that there's a, a natural instinct to put her in sort of the innocent babe in the woods. Kind Especially of. when she's saying things like oink oink, yes, and moo moo, <laughs> yes, hee haw, hee haw. <laughs> Um, hee-haw, hee-haw. You know what's interesting? She's I know the Jennifer Tilly of her day. Yes. Does this show skip around a lot? Is that, is that oh, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I will say, I think she, her look in this movie, in the first half of the movie, is so incredible. And I, I watching it- The bracelets it, up the arms. The bracelets, the dark hair yeah. with the bangs. And I, I realized when I watched this again, I don't know that I ever put this together, mm. but I- Started dating <laughs> a woman in 1989 who was like exactly like this. Who yeah. who has her look and her energy, and I think and 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 was very quirky and fun. And I I realized when I was like, oh, I think I I I started being attracted to her just because of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and halfway through the movie, when Melanie Griffith changes her look to be more Americana. I know at the time I saw it, I was like, oh, good. She's being more normal. But this time I was like, you don't got to do that. Yeah. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah. And it's it's also when her energy sort of just is depleted after that. Like she's not. Yeah. She doesn't have the same. Then she becomes the girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ray Liotta also becomes the star of the film at that moment where she was. He mugs Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith for the movie. I'm going to be top build. Yeah. 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 As much as I love this movie, there are a couple of faults in it, I think, now with age, me watching it. And that is one of them, of of the 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 Jeff Daniels character is the straight he says everything is the dorkiest possibly thing possible thing that he can sure. say early on in the movie. He is just a complete dumb idiot. Munis. But he's yeah, he's talking about munis, and she's like, What are those? Municipal bonds, you know. Come on. Like, Everything Company plastic. <laughs> everything he says is so lame. And yet, when I watched it in 1986, it was like, yeah, that's me. Sure. And, and, <laughs> and Melanie Griffith at that needs, point, you're Melanie, like, I'm 16. Right. And you're like, yeah, I'm a company stooge. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Of, of like, yeah. I was 16, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll be a huge rich banker. Those are the options yeah. open to me. Right. If but, she's attracted to that. Yeah. yeah. But then she... The, one of the faults of the film, I think, is that she, it, it it is more of a compromise where he comes closer to her and she mm-hmm. comes closer to him, but she should not have to come closer to to him. Sure, it's it's almost like, hey, I'm a white guy, come come closer to my world. Well, this you is know? this is my alternative read to that, and I I had that same sort of irritation. The thing I had forgotten 
was at the end when he sees her again that she has developed like a whole new aesthetic persona. Sure, mm. right. She looks okay. Different again. Well, yeah. What what's what's different about it in that? Third she persona? she's this weird like old timey sort of woman. I mean, she's got this like old sort of like Studebaker looking like forties or fifties car. Mm-hmm. So she's sort of almost like pinup girl, like kind, kind of, thing. of. I mean, she's it's almost like she's like a. Like a debutante? Yeah, I'm trying to find if there's well, the, a picture the of Well, the second, it. when she, halfway through the movie when she changes her look, right. there is a narrative purpose for it. That's the thing. Right. This is but, her at the end. Right, she's that's her hat. at the end. Oh, yeah, right. and the, the polka dots. Right, right. And the satin gloves, and then she's got this right. weird old-fashioned car. Yeah, yeah, so maybe she's back to quirky there. But I, yeah. I, That's the thing. Just the mere yeah. change of her hair color is what was annoying to me. And style. On, yeah. on this watch is like, blonde is classic uh, like that is what is attractive. Yeah. You and so it's sure. it's her like, and the narrative purpose of it in the movie is for her to like fit into this Americana and That's say to her say. say to her mom and her right. classmates like I'm doing I'm, fine. I'm doing fine. Right. I'm successful. And yet in the movie it serves the purpose a little bit to me of like saying. Hey, America! Hey, Americans who are going to watch this movie, don't worry. She's going to come closer to you than you have to go get closer to her aesthetic. Well, see, if she didn't have the final look, I would agree with that. Um, but I feel like the fact that they're like, no, but left her own devices. She finds a new quirky persona yeah. to adopt. Mm-hmm. Is he, like she's not being cured, quote unquote. It is more that like, like breakfast club. and but so if much he of, went closer to her aesthetic, yeah. and he and he sort of, he does. By in the, the end of it, he's wearing the, the sunglasses in the wonderful scene like, yeah. in the convenience store oh, so with yes. with wearing her sunglasses yeah. with the Vermonas for lovers shirt. All that is great. By the end of it, I will say like he. He looks so fucking cool sitting in that yeah. window. Oh, yeah. yeah, with a white like members only <laughs> yeah. jacket. And yeah. yeah, he's got a he's got a fucked up arm or whatever, but he he looks like he's in less than zero or he something. Looks so like, good. He looks so good and he looks so so cool, but he doesn't look quirky in that moment, I think. And yeah. if he were to stay, if he were to if he were suddenly to be like, look, my life has changed so much that I I th- I think when you when you have a relationship, that's a lot of what it is, is like both of you finding what you love about the other person mm-hmm. and incorporating that into your life. And I don't know that he incorporates as much Too of much, her right. life sure. into his life as much as he, he says, like, I'll put up with it. But you also, at that he point... should have had a flock of seagulls haircut. <laughs> he should That's what have made this. should have been a, a total this. new yeah. wave yeah. kit. You know, his suit is, like, still very cool looking when he, when he gets it. Although yeah. the white shoes are definitely... I will say, like, I... I Tried to dress like him and Matthew Modine and Married to the Mob uh-huh. when I was when I was nineteen and yeah, I looks. had a blue suit and nice. I had white shoes and I had saddle shoes I would buy like used saddle shoes in a uh, thrift store and I was basically trying to dress like those two guys and you had a Rube Goldberg type device around your bed to be able to dress as quickly as right, possible. the socks right, were positioned yeah. at the foot of your- <laughs> I mean I will admit like because right it is sort of silly that his big change that he puts on a brighter blue suit yeah. Um, yeah. but I was at a suit shop like a year ago and they were really trying to get me to wear yeah. an electric they were like come on this is popping yeah. cool. your eye you know and you were too scared to do and it and I was too scared to do it yeah. I was like well no I mean let's, I, this and will I do work everywhere say, when I was 19 and I wore this like Right. You know, blue suit and these white jazzier shoes and everything. I was looked at as quirky. So yeah. it's like, right. but it's the barest, you know, sure. most right. minimal change that a man has to do in order to like, for have people looking at him going, you're not normal. But you also go like, you don't know exactly how much time has passed. Well, no, he, his, sure. arm is, his arm is healed his arm by is, the end. Right, right, sure, right, right. sure. So I think he quits his job when in, in the immediate aftermath when right. he realizes, I mean, I have more to say about the themes of the movie later, but... 
but I think when I think so much time has elapsed by the time they actually yeah. get together at the end that it's um, right. I mean, you talking about like the way a, a couple takes things from each other, meets more in the middle, and mm-hmm. you know, sort of share sensibility and all that. He's like kind of one foot in, one foot out at the end of the movie because he still kind of is afraid he's never going to see her again. Yeah, sure. you know, like he's sort of taken slight elements from her, and it certainly affected him. Yeah, um, but w- he's still chasing women down alleyways, trying to confirm whether or not they're Melanie Griffith. Right. I do also to this point about the are they are they supposed to be with each other and how much wh- why do they like each other? And I think that's mm-hmm. that. This is all in that that general theme for me. I do think it's one of the film's slight flaws. But thinking about it yesterday, I don't even know if it's a flaw, but I just wanted to bring it up of of the fact that um, there's never a scene in the movie or if there was, it was cut out where the two of them even get to know that much about each other's lives. Yeah, right. Because the first 45 minutes of this movie, there's right. No conversation. It's and, fucking and, and it's yeah. like excitement. Yes. And so let's do this and, now. And let's when do they this talk, now. they're both largely lying to each other. Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. And so. I never really got a sense of why, uh, why, why he would fight for her other than she represents something that he could get from another partner, you know, yeah, of, of like, sure. I need to, I need to, I've been jolted out of my, uh, uh, being asleep in not only my relationships, but in society. And, uh, I can go now use those lessons with anyone I meet. Why right. is it her? You well, know what I, I mean? mean, so much of it, I think is just an energy thing. Uh, not just the energy between the two of them, but the energy each of them puts out, and that to some degree they represent for each other the the things that they are lacking in their life. Sure, right. but that's at that the moment, Demi it's like the catalyst. Thing is like yeah. right. To the, they each represent like she's wild and free, and so he's sort of right. drawn to that, and he's this sort of like normie she can sort of correct right. and mess with, but also like they are both misrepresenting themselves in a way, right. and he actually is wilder than. Yes. Than, uh, than what she thinks of him and she's like. And vice versa. Right. Yeah, she, exactly. And so yeah. Demi's whole thing is like, let's peel the image back and look right. at the people yeah. underneath as well and sort of like slow the movie down, which I think sometimes, you know, can sort of baffle people like, you know, well, the tonal shift. Yeah. And, and about. thinking about it yesterday when I was thinking about that being a flaw, I also was thinking, you know what? It also is a movie where just. When I was 16, I was not confused about that. And, I, and you may say it's because I was 16 and I was identifying with the Jeff Daniels character because of my position of privilege. And it's like, well, sure. Yeah, of course they would wind it. Sure. Of course she would like him because right, he's, he's the he, leading man. He's the leading man. Right. Or whatever. Jeff but Daniels, at this, look at that chin. But yeah. at the same time, when I say it's a movie, I mean, it is a visual medium and there just can be unspoken things. Maybe they don't yeah. need an entire scene where they say, oh, the reason you're right for me is this. And the reason right. I'm right sure. for you is and, this. And this run of demi comedies is so much about that sort of aesthetic, aesthetic reality, you know, mm, right. Through the aesthetics and all of that. I also feel like, you know, to some degree they're they're representing things. You know, they're mm-hmm. representing ideas. But the other thing I think this movie does that is uh, really canny, and it's, it's striking watching this, how many movies have either knowingly or unknowingly ripped this film off in the preceding uh, 30 years, the following 30 years, right? Where sure. this is like such a well-worn like, oh, it's like the uptight, boring guy who meets like a crazy, spontaneous woman and yeah. she like takes him out of his comfort zone. And all the ones that have followed since have like 
the manic pixie dream. She's right. like a, yes. an archetype for something that's not an archetype yet. But this yeah. movie like kind of creates the archetypes and then everyone else sort of reduces them. Yes. Where Whereas both the of them are, clear. are so like, much no, more layered and nuanced right. yeah, than yeah, yeah. that where it is like the fact that he is lying and trying to pretend that he is more normal right. than he is. Right. And the fact that she seems so crazy and spontaneous. But she really wants someone who's normal that she can just kind of fuck with. And when when she finds out that he is more fucked up than he's right. been pretending, she's a little that's, freaked out. That's yeah. a bummer to her. Well, yeah. and also the like, you know, the sort of standard definition of the manic pixie dream girl is the like complete lack of interiority. Sure, she yeah, only right. exists to show up and affect and the other person's life. Right. The sort of yeah. Natalie right. Portman in Garden State, uh, right. Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth Town. These and you're finally like, an interesting woman. Right, right, right. right. You you know <laughs> yeah. all those oh, boring, boring women. You know women. These yeah. women. Yeah. Uh, but this film not only gives her like so much interiority, but also gives her a clear pathology where you understand why she spends the first 40 minutes of the movie acting like a lunatic. It's not just because she's a quirky film character. It's because this is someone who is like actively running away from herself and her own life and and needs to create personas and live in this sort of impulsive way. Well, also she, she got with the bad boy who is like a monument, like a cocaine golem, right? Right. Who's just like all energy. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, I did that. And that was awful. So what about like, could I find a normie? You know, to sort of mess with and corrupt, but also like yeah. that's not going to pull a switchblade. Now, now, here's my question: you know, I in had, the Quickie Mart, because I I remembered it being this way, and then rewatching it, it was more unclear to me. Do you think she, from the moment she sees him in the coffee shop, goes, "I need a guy to bring to my reunion. This guy's a good model." Well, no, I think it's when she sees him. You know, not pay. That, that must, no, no, that's no, no. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I mean. That's what you yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, do, you or think, do you think it's more in the hotel? Right, yeah. that's the question. Is right. it like, is she is picking up guys? Is it a two-stage thing, right? Right. Because yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think she has a plan the entire sure, time. Sure, maybe I, not. I, right, right, right. I think that's a little too, like she becomes, uh, you know, an incredible genius at that sure. point of like, you know, oh, she's got a master plan. I think she's sort of living... By the seat of her pants, right. a Let me little whisk bit, this guy and, away. and, and yeah. she has sex with him in the motel, and it's good. And yeah. he he has that yes, phone call where real he, good. He has the phone call where he actually proves that he, you know, instead of just going like, "Get me out of these handcuffs right, right. now," right. You, you have my boss on the phone. Right. You know, he like goes along with it, and I think she's excited by it. And right. but there's a part of me that wonders if that's all testing, not to make her sound like a criminal mastermind, mm-hmm. but she also strikes me as the kind of character where she unconsciously, right? Maybe. Would never admit this to herself. But that's sort she of She is on her way out of worried town. about. Right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And knows that to some degree, whether or not she would ever connect these dots herself, that she wants to show up at her reunion with another guy because of the looming threat of Ray. I, I Even though she thinks he's still sure. in prison, that it's Maybe. like a risk I, well, she I doesn't want It's not just Ray, though. I think part of it is like she's this person who's like, like a great Demi character, very empathetic. Yeah. And she can read people very easily. And she knows what her mom wants her to bring through the door. But what right. she does not know is, is that her mom sees right through it, which, right. Is, which, is, such, uh, which I love. Uh, yeah, an amazing moment. Um, because in a normal movie, I think her mom would just be a flat. It, it would be a comedic character. scene of like, right. when is her mom going to find out the truth? Right. And instead, her mom knows it from the jump. And there's no so torture. There's just a cut. They're washing dishes, yeah. and she goes, "So you have like a real wife and kids, <laughs> right, right? It's right. just like that's the entry it's point." So right. Great. But I, I, I think it also could be that she's on her way out of town. Yeah. And she gets more into this guy the more it goes along. Sure. And it pops in her head 
I think the day of going to see the mom of like, well, why don't I take him? That sure. Way, you know what I mean? I, I, I would, yeah. I right. think it's a slow, I, I think on both of their parts, it's a slow, like learning to like the other person more and more as they hang out. More and they're more. kind of playing chicken too. She's right. like, well, what if we did this? And he's like, okay, like I do that. Right. Like, right. you know, they, they're all, they're she's like, well, now you're my husband other. in front of my mom. And right. he's like, she's oh. like, okay, sure. You know? that, she's just constantly throwing him into the that deep great, end. What's of, the name tag line where he's like, I never really had a strong opinion about them when the, the girl right. is like, you know, that, oh, that, sure. that's right. That's he, he's, he's, he's willing to go with stuff. He doesn't need to wear his sort of Jeff Daniels label, but she is, I mean, she's a very scared character, despite sure. the film setting up initially as like, well, what a fearless yeah, woman will so do anything charge. at any moment. She's putting him in handcuffs, all that kind of stuff. But there's these larger substantial things that she's incredibly terrified yeah. of. You know, she, her, her ex-husband. Be, and and right. maybe her mom, too. Her mom, I think, too. The, yeah. the way that the people who actually know her will judge her. Her classmates, all sorts of stuff. Well, is she afraid of what they think of her? If she moves to New York City and she gets a Louise Brooks Bob, you know, mm-hmm. and all the bangles and the crazy car and whatever. She a is lot of bangles. A ton of bangles. It's bangle heavy. I, I will say also having here, – here's something that happened at my 10th year reunion. Um, Congratulations, everyone, by the way. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. It was just the other day. You made day. it. <laughs> um, everyone came in kind of like putting on airs and trying yeah. to be the most successful versions of themselves, much mm-hmm. like Melanie Griffith does in this movie. And I saw uh, someone who was in high school was one of the like popular girls who never – talk to me and I started talking to her I was like so what's going on she's like well I don't have a job I just moved back in with my parents uh and it was so like she was just so alive and telling the truth yeah that's that it awesome. was like incredible I was like this is the most fascinating person here um and Melanie Griffith does not have the courage to do that in this movie right, the way the that she that does in her. New York City Jeff Daniels is more terrified of the little things on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and she's more afraid of the bigger things like that mm-hmm. sure and and when you you know anyone who dresses in sort of that outsized a way has created that much of a persona is ultimately trying to take control you know much like the way you're dressed today yes <laughs> we should mention <laughs> I'm wearing a zoot suit. Yes, of course. <laughs> you, I have a feather in your hat. You also have a green mask on. I don't know exactly what's going on I have a green mask right on. Uh, somebody, saying, please stop me. <laughs> you were smoking. I was smoking. We should mention. You pointed at it and said something. I can't remember what. Uh, I recently read the comic. Very all different. All these years later. Very different. Yeah. I something finally, wild comic? Yeah, there's something wild. Yeah, it's based on a star comic. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, uh, it, no, but I was going to say, I mean, it's that thing of like, you want to control what people think of you. I'm going to establish right. such a strong persona and such a strong and, aesthetic. And keep you at a distance almost. Totally. It's way. that thing where it's like, whether you like this or yeah. not, I know that everyone's going to look at me and go, oh, wow, that girl's wild. It's also I, fun. It's fun. I was a punk. Yeah. I like dressing up. It's also a way to sort of signal to other people. That's the point. Right. That's the we signal. are on the same yeah. wave. Well, you're signaling to people it's like, this is who I am. Yeah. You yeah. cannot come to any other conclusion about me. Yeah. Right. You can like me or hate me. But I'm showing you exactly who I am. You can't place a reading on me. I will say that I think I I, I wish there was one scene where he uh, it is beautiful the way that she like breaks down her walls and gets mm-hmm. gets rid of that like, uh, hey, the distance she puts him at. But I, I wish there was maybe one scene where he got to know her a little bit more other than just yeah. all the fake stuff. You know right. what I mean? It doesn't really ever slow down in that way, this movie. Yeah. The the one scene that bums me out, and I wonder if it's like you could have removed that scene and put this scene in, is the one where she gets really angry at him for lying. 
I, I think we of, both feel that way about those scenes in I, movies. It's my right? least favorite type of Where scene that can exist in any movie. Look, I, like, just, I just put one into a movie I directed, so <laughs> I, look, I get it. He's, he's, I just, the dishonesty is what bothers I, me. I, yeah. I want people, movie characters, to look me in the eye and tell me the truth. No, uh, um, yeah. no, but it is It is always kind of like a frustrating, slow down part of the movie, you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I Defend I, your scene. Okay, so I'm not. I'm not putting your scene on. No, trial, no, no. But, yeah. but I, as someone I, who just as had someone to who, do it, who, yeah. I didn't have to do it as much as you need characters to be at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you're doing what I did, which is a comedy movie, which has like the the mere, uh, you know, kind of a, a th- very threadbare plot. Sure, uh, it is a shorthand a little way to like mm-hmm. be able right. to have uh, drama in scenes. You know, between characters is like, well, one of the characters is lying to the rest of the characters, and then you're, you're it poking all comes at these out. conventions a little yeah. bit. But you're all you also need characters to be mad at each other. And we in for the movie that I did, we shot several scenes where they're mad for different reasons, and that's the one that stuck. <laughs> sure. You know, sure. yeah, um, but. I do agree. I get a little like, okay, come on. You're not, but I'm very, I'm a very logical person too. So when I see someone like, when I see her saying like, you are lying to me, my, in my head, I'm always like, well, you are lying too. This doesn't make any logical sense. Right. It's, it's very obvious why he was lying to her. There's a certain sort of psychology that makes sense to her being like, I'm the one who lies. I feel betrayed because I picked you because you seemed honest. Yeah. But it is still very hypocritical but, of her. But, but, but to have she, she drives off and literally stops two seconds later. Right. So it's the best right. version and of that. And then throws the gun in slow motion. Yeah. But yeah. like she there is a weird reversal to her being angry because she's essentially saying, like, I thought I was sleeping with a married man with right. kids. And that right. was yeah. part of it for me. Right. And so Which wait, is you're really just funny. some schmo? Yeah, 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 you know. Because to a certain I degree. I wanted to be the one who's, who gets to lie. Exactly. Right. You're just yeah. a sad guy. And I thought, I, I thought you were lying about, about and being exciting while lying. And right. instead, you're just lying all the time. Right? Yeah. I think there's a certain security to her being the one who lies. And, and uh, right. Sure. And, and, and like putting him the in the situation where he has to lie. Yes. Instead, suddenly she's the one who's being has been manipulated. Right. She's been controlling his narrative. The other thing is, I think she likes the idea of him being a married family man because it puts. Yeah. Bumpers yeah, that, on. Yes, that means that he can't fall. He for has her. to yes. go back to normal life. This, this isn't going to be a well. So when Ray, Ray, Ray Liotta shows up and says, "Get the fuck out of here," and breaks his nose, the easiest thing for him to do at that point is to go back to his wife. I don't need this. To yeah. walk in the door and be like, "Well, I had a cre- yeah, well, yeah, know. oh yeah, I ran into a door, honey." <laughs> it, it's such a good touch. I had forgotten all the stuff with his wife and kids in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, not having seen it in a, a handful of years. And um, when there are the scenes early on where he steps away to call his wife. Yeah, and you hear the busy signal. Yeah, and I was like, what a weird – did they just not remove that from the soundtrack? Was it like because it was a real payphone? Like I had forgotten that was a a pointed plot thing. Sure. Right. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was like a film goof. Oh. (laughs) One of those film goofs? Yeah. Did you check the IMDb goofs page? Flubs and goofs. Uh (laughs) Uh, But it is such a good detail that like at that point you're ostensibly supposed to take him at face value and And he's selling that phone call so hard. But that's the first time where you're like, oh, shit, he's lying too. Something weird's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Something weird. Something, something wild. Something wild. Uh, also something different, daring, and dangerous. Sure. Of course, yes. Right. Um, um, so I, I will say, when if we're talking about theme, mm-hmm. um, I, I think the other thing that was really hammered home for me this time that I was watching is 
I, I'd always known it's about a guy who learns to loosen up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and so when I was 16, I was like, yeah, quirkiness is okay. Embrace it. You know, that, and that was sort of where I was, but this time I was really just noticing how every scene is based on society, not loosening up and how sure. every scene is about the conventions that we have in conversation, in politeness in the there, there's a scene in um, what is the Daniel Craig movie, the serial killer Fincher movie? Uh, um, it's uh, called uh, Skyfall. Sky, <laughs> no, is it? It's uh, he's a ruthless tattoo. serial killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah girl, yeah. With, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say Zodiac for some reason, but there's a scene that I think about a lot of times where the killer at the end, um, Daniel Craig knows he's the killer, mm-hmm. and the killer sees him is like, "Hey, how's it going?" And Daniel Craig doesn't want to let on that he knows he's the killer and he's trying to get away and he's like hey come on inside and he comes inside and then gets trapped in the murder room yes yeah and the killer goes why did you come inside you know that i'm the killer yeah, you fucking moron it, 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 it's just fucking society that you feel like if someone asks you <laughs> to do something polite. you have to be polite now yeah. i'm gonna murder you and that's what this whole movie is is like society as a construct has all been built on these agreements between people which is that when you see someone, you're polite to them and you have a nice conversation yeah. with them. And uh, when Ray Liotta comes into the film and starts gradually poking at that kind of right. stuff and says, like, she must be great in bed, right? And and Jeff Daniels puts a stop to him and is like, we don't talk about that. Right. All the way up to the point where, where Jeff Daniels has just gotten the shit beat out of him and he's, like, handcuffed to a chair and Ray, he says to Ray Liotta, like, violence isn't the answer, Ray, and you're going to find that out sooner or later. And he just sounds like, you know, right. his parents talking he's or something. He's becoming, like, moralistic. It's like the end yeah, of a G.I. Joe mor- episode. Yes, he's yeah. moralizing to this guy. Yeah. That that was what was really fascinating to me this time was just how every scene is about that, is about right. – Society has been built on these agreements we make with each other that we are not going to go crazy, that we're not going to flip out, that we're not going to to break the rules. And every scene is about that until finally uh, the end where he he you know, I know he doesn't kill him intentionally, but where he, yeah. he, you know, realizes Confronts that vi- yes. violence right. is it's the way to the answer also, at some point. Like what a beautiful Demi touch that the, it's it, all faces. And yeah. that also it's Ray. Don't yeah, like no. he sure, sees sure. him yeah. turn around right. too quickly. Yeah. He knows the knife is out. He has no intention of killing this man. But I just like that. It's all in their faces. You don't yeah. see the knife going in or yeah, anything. It's all like you don't close-ups. need to. Yes. Yeah. And the only blood great. you see is when he does the, the hair, uh, the hair move, which yeah. is so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, Roger Corman apparently taught Demi, like with the villains. Whenever you're directing villains, yeah. tell them they're the nice guy. Like talk, keep telling yeah. the actor like you're. And apparently Demi would keep going up to Leo and be like, "You're the nicest guy. You're the nicest guy in this scene." Yeah, like trying mm-hmm. to pump him up. Like you think you're the hero here. Like yeah. that was apparently like his big move uh, for it, directing. It worked Leota. so well. I I do think yeah, what you're saying, Scott, is like that. That's the larger thing this movie is interested in. Is like. Why why does anyone behave anyway? Anyway, why do we do the things we do and then, you know, yes, why have we settled on this being normal? It's sort of cliche that he quits his job or whatever, but at that point I think Jeff Daniels's character realizes that everything is a sham. Right. And everything that he said the entire movie and the character he's been playing to Melanie Griffith to his wife to everybody 
to society and every, the characters we all play to each other are basically just bullshit. And so why not just be whatever he wants to be? I mean, they're both people who kind of don't know who they really are, but they're right. dealing with it in very different ways. Right. Which is what I think they they find in each other, what but immediately jumps out It's also out to why them. they're both attracted to Ray Liotta because totally. he is very much like, I know exactly who I right. am and I am in charge of everything. He's just a shark. It's and, like so clean. You know, yeah. obviously she's afraid of him when he re-enters, but uh, Jeff Daniels is is attracted to him. So he wants to hang out with this guy. guy. Yeah. And that scene where the cars pull up next to each other and the other Wall Street guy is like, hey, you yeah. want to get some pizza? Yeah. And Ray Liotta's like, pizza? Get out of here. Yeah. So do Which, you, by the way, the, the wife's performance in it, she's the lead singer of Suburban Lawns? Yes. Is that, is that right? Sue Tissue. Uh, she is right. so funny in the yes. movie. So funny. <laughs> and I went down this rabbit hole because I was like, who is this woman? Her energy is so weird. She's got a weird. funny face. Just, right. Yeah. You know, so just, I looked yeah. her up, saw that she was the, the Suburban Lawn singer. Yeah. There's this whole thing online about the fact that this is like her last appearance in anything ever. Yeah. She released no new music after this movie. The group had disbanded. Right. She had done the one EP, the one LP, and then had done a solo album. This movie, and then she disappears. And there's like vast online communities of people trying to figure out what happened to Sue Tissue. Interesting. Because she kind of was... The, the root of it seems to be... Because their album is years before this movie. Correct. It's 81, I think. Yeah. yeah. This is her last thing. Uh-huh. And her only acting role, they had gotten big because Demi directed their first video, mm-hmm. which then aired on SNL. Back when SNL used to just be right. kind of like a collection pot for like, right. yeah, Penn and Teller can show. do a like yeah. routine and we'll like right. play someone else's short film, which would be so cool to see come back. Oh yeah, totally. Um, but what were you going to say? It's rooted in. Well, I think what's interesting is I, I was, I was reading all these different articles. I found like 20 different articles of people being like searching for Sue Tissue oh, sure. and all of them come down to whether they're the person searching themselves, writing the article or someone writing about the phenomenon oh, okay. of how many Facebook groups there are looking for her. Mm-hmm. They all seem to be be that she represented this kind of uh, uh, Lulu-esque figure for uh, dorky dudes who saw her perform or saw her on TV and were like, this seems like the wild alt girl of my dreams. Yeah. So she's the manic pixie, <laughs> pixie dream girl right. for them. Right. They never knew her. And yeah. after like the sort of like public agreement of like, you will remain a front facing person. You will continue doing art. I don't need to know you personally, yeah. but I will continue having a relationship with you through your music and your on camera appearances and whatever. The fact that she disappeared and turned her back on all of that. Yeah. Right. And none of these guys are coming at it from this possessive, angry way, but it's all clearly rooted in like, this was my dream girlfriend when I was seven. 17 years old. Right. And I have no idea what happened to her, and it kind of drives me crazy. Right. And people are just like, I heard maybe she's a teacher, maybe she lives here, maybe she does that. That's interesting. I wonder what It's she also is. just hard to not have a, like, not be traceable. Well, I mean, she's know? using a, a pseudonym, which yeah. is right. great. <laughs> but even pseudonym. they they know her real know her name real now. Name, yeah. sure, I mean, sure. it's public knowledge, and she, uh, they still haven't yeah. been able to find her. And even, like, her bandmates are like, the last time I ever saw her was the day we agreed to break up the band. Wow. There was no communication, just... which is a year or two before this movie, even. Wow. Just on her performance, I do have to say, like, it's not the performance a lead singer of a band would normally do. <laughs> yes. It is so underplayed. Right. It's so just real in a way. It's it's really an incredible performance. Especially for this odd, like, post-punk, like, yeah. very radical right. sort of, she's, like, performance She's already. just playing such a normal person. Right. And it's really wonderful. In a movie with lots of, I mean, what, John Sayles and John, all these directors yeah. are yeah. popping up playing John weird one-point, uh, one-line one one line Right, role. and Tracy Walter, who's, like, in most 
most of the Demi movies and is a couple years away from playing Bob the Goon. Yes. Right. Uh, it, it always plays these kind of like scummy, right. sort of yeah. unsavory Married types. to the Mob is a, he, right, he's the chicken guy right, who makes yeah. her, yes, yeah. The, who, and then in this movie, he plays like a liquor shop owner who acts like a British really, gentleman. Really, and he's way, got the big pipe. He's dubbed in that scene and I can't tell why. No. Like, I, I because he, he talks normal when he's on TV. Yes. He talks, he, he does his regular voice when yeah. he's on TV, but when he's in that scene, they they have looped the scene with him talking British. Yes. It's very strange. I can't tell if it, why? He's you think also, afterwards he was like, what if, uh, would yeah. that be funny? I've got a pipe already. Right, well, I, they might have to justify the pipe. Well, I also <laughs> feel like it was like they, they felt like the scene needed something or Some something. Like, so they yeah. brought him in, they are like, we need a boost on the scene just talk British like and, ah yes I do remember that uh, that's the back uh, in Glen Limit, uh, you know the scene so needed crazy. something wild uh, <laughs> he is uh, also inexplicably like fifth build in this movie yeah well he even single like, solo card I think build. Charles John Napier Waters is angry and, chef is fourth yeah. build yeah well, this John is Waters the thing is we've up talked there. about watching all the Demi movies is he's one of those directors where every single actor with more than one line Right, gets, gets a front opening billing. front yes. billing. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. that's great. I, I mean, love that is great. the feelies. They don't, right, the you know. feelies are in Sister there. Carol. Sister Carol. Sister Carol. Sister Carol is just yeah. great. By yes, the way. who Carol's. is also in Married to the Mob as well. Yeah. Those, those, these, these two movies are oh, twins. Oh, I, yeah. I failed she's to put the, that together. You know, the She's the hairdresser. Who, of course, yeah, of course, right. of course. Yeah. Um, I did, speaking of the casting, one other thing that I have was very inspired by in this movie. Not this, not this last time I watched it, but the time previous to this, and it's sort of. Um, ties in with what we try to do on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show. But it, this is one of the times where this and Pee Wee's Playhouse, to me, um, the 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 way that Jonathan Demme populates the world of mm. the movie uh, is not the way that directors were doing yeah. uh, a back, back in this time period. Um, my wife and I sometimes will be watching movies, and, like, if we see an Asian... Uh, background member or a person with one line will go Asian. And then 100% of the time they are Asian for a reason. Sure. Meaning I was watching smoking the bandit recently and we we're like, one of the truck drivers was Asian. I was like, Whoa, Asian. Sure. And then he screams bonsai, Man, and, okay. you know, and that is what <laughs> they've never just cast an actor who happens to be Asian. happens to be sure. Asian. So, right. so there, there, there is a thing where back in that time period, you felt as a director like you had to explain why there there were these reasons why you would cast a person of color in this mm-hmm. and it would be distracting if it wasn't a white person and right. you f- felt like you had to explain so for instance even in quick change like all of the black people in the movie are there to be intimidating sure you know and that it's code for when they pop up it's like oh we're in a bad part of town you know what i mean sure. so but this is this is one of those movies where and and when I was watching the Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, uh, extra material when the Blu-ray came out, they it was just something that kind of seeped into my subconsciousness about how Jonathan Demme just is not concerned with he's not concerned with like populating the movie with people of color for no reason just to do mm-hmm. it. He he's he's more concerned, and this is where it differs from Married to the Mob, in my opinion. He's concerned with reality right, right. in the right. scenes. And and so he wants to make every every time that you get to a new location, there will be something like the rap group practicing outside yeah, yes. the convenience store. I love that. And, he, and he's a director who sees – he lives in New York City and he sees this kind of stuff. And so he's like – I'm go- I I think that's fun when I see that on the street so I'm going to put that in front of the convenience store but he's but 
it also is very real. Like the the when Jeff Daniels parks at the church, yeah, and the little girl who comes up to him, it's not it it's not like he's doing it just to do it. It just seems like that. He he has made a. It's the most real background casting I've I've seen in a movie maybe ever. I mean, it's just it just feels like life. Every it, situation yeah. feels very lived in. It, yes. it feels like he was such an appreciator of like cultures mm-hmm. yeah. and culture at large, and he liked being able to like put as much in the stew yeah. as possible. Especially all the music like, he's using a lot of yeah. reggae. He's it, using a lot of uh, Latin music and, you know, and New York Cliff City and, in like the eighties and the nineties, especially like the village where he's living is so much a melting pot of everything. Yeah. yeah. And it and it really was uh it was something that I was sort of dealing with on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show in a way of of with that with that show we got to cast whoever we wanted and mm-hmm. we we usually didn't audition people that much unless it was kind of a specialty part where we needed something specific and we didn't know a UCB person who could do it, right? So it was something in the in the first year that you sort of find yourself like leaning into your biases a little bit where like people you know best or well no not even that where let me give you an example so we had to cast a cop in something Mm -hmm. right and and it's they come to you with you know at a moment's notice they're like who do you want as the cop in this thing and then you got to search through your mental rolodex of people you know of like who you want as a cop and so your automatic thing especially when you're doing comedy is to say okay who is the most like imposing white guy I know. Right, who's a guy with like a mustache and broad shoulders yeah, who sure. like Tall, fits the iconographic yeah. notion of... And then you yeah. start going like, well, does it have to be that? And then you, then you go, well, we're doing a comedy scene, so if we're doing a comedy scene, they're all based on tropes of like previous comedy scenes yeah. and, and society tropes and stuff like that. So you... So you find yourself when you're doing comedy playing into that a little too much of like, well, no, we can't have it be a woman or anything else because then you would have to explain it too much. Right. Um, and and the joke wouldn't come across. That's the excuse you start to give yourself. Sure. We and need th- to make this as simple as possible. Right, right, right. Yes. Right. And so then the second season, yeah. I was just like, I, I watched, I think it was then that I watched the Pee Wee's Playhouse thing and I started thinking about this. I think I saw it, this around then too and I was just like. Cowboy Curtis is such a good example yes. of in no way would Larry Fishburne be the obvious choice right. of like, yes. and we're who's not like an old western sure, And uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, who's the uh, uh, male person? Uh, uh, Reba, the male lady, Esopatha yeah. Marcus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All of that and they and they were talking in their interviews about I I never got the opportunity to play this kind of character. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, right. And so I just basically started saying like, "Fuck it." P- P- it, it never is confusing to an audience. When I saw yeah. something wild, I was not confused right. of like, "What are all these people of color doing in these minor roles?" Yeah, uh, and sometimes not minor, like the guy in the convenience store is so funny. Um, but. And, and they're not trying to tell me anything other than it's just that would be the truth in Virginia of who right. is doing these things, you know. Uh, so I started doing that on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show where it was just like, no, uh, we'll just we'll we'll cast whoever we want. And no one ever said anything of about course. it because no one is ever confused by it ever again. You know? No, it's like a thing that I, I think uh, doesn't get talked enough about with uh, Key and Peel, which especially in the later seasons, mm-hmm. they felt – it seemed like they felt very emboldened to just be like, 
well, we'll write whatever sketch and we'll be the two people in it, right. whether or not this would be a sketch about two black guys. Right. Yeah. And it goes from being like the first season, which is very much based on like race and culture, yes. because I think that's the Trojan horse they use to sell the show. Yeah. Where by later seasons, it's like they're playing German Nazis. <laughs> right. And they're playing like British game hunters. Continental Breakfast is like all that stuff. Right. But there are like certain sketches where they're like, this literally could not be black men. Right. Right. Based on this yes, time and this geographic right. region and the positions they have and all of that. And they right. just were like, but it's a fucking sketch. Who cares? And we'll wear yeah, the costume and do suspension. the accents. Yeah, exactly. None, none of it's real. Yeah. Have I talked about Armando Inucci's movie yet? The David Copperfield movie that's yeah, coming out next saying, year where right. he has cast uh, – he has gone to the full extreme where characters of color have are – Parents to a white child, right. or vice versa. Yeah, right. he makes no effort to. He doesn't care. Like you know, there's no effort to sort of have things line up right. generationally or anything like that. He's just like, I'm just casting actors who I like, right. and that's it. We've, we and we yeah, we were do we were that? doing that sure. in Comedy Bang Bang, and and similarly, we were casting. Uh, like I want to be very non-specific about stuff because I don't want to necessarily blow up actor spots or mm-hmm. whatever like that. But we were casting some parts, similarly of of the offspring of. Right. Right someone else and we were like is do we need to explain to the audience of like that they're a different race no, or whatever like that no one ever cares no, like no one cares. just everyone just sees it and goes oh adopted or like makes whatever right. mental connection they need to make in their mind and and no one ever gives a shit and there there was one point where a director came up to me or maybe it was a producer or something and was like do you think we need to explain to the audience why this is happening and i was like no yeah <laughs> just go away then and you never do it's, it, i mean it's that thing like in the in the Josh Trank fantastic four movie yeah. Yeah. where it's michael b jordan and kate mar are siblings and you're right. like this is cool yeah, okay. and you're like totally with it and then there's one moment where they're like yeah she was a war child from kosovo that oh, we yeah, they do, they yeah, do yeah. explain it in the movie that's and right it's the one yeah. you don't have to no. right and, and, and look the movie's not good yeah, but you're sure. totally yeah. accepting the two of them as siblings and you can create whatever backstory you want in your yeah. head or not think about it because it's a fucking made-up movie about people yeah. who turn to fire only only the human torture is a person who exactly. turns into fire <laughs> right. okay but, but the second they say back to jonathan demi though I I love this movie for that of of just not only does he put a fun aesthetic into every location where yeah. there's an interesting person who you know and a lot of times it's it's John Waters or whomever sure. his buddies yeah but um it just gets very real to me just and and every scene feels very lived in and in a way that you would not be able to write into a script I can only imagine no. the script didn't have any of these kind of details. And that's what no. a good director does. Right, you know, a good right. director comes in and adds a whole aesthetic to the movie and 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 makes it a very fleshed out, lived in world, which he, I really He appreciate. is such a great, like, sort of case study in, like, what does a director do, you yeah. know? To a certain yes. degree, if someone asked me that question, I would pick a Demi movie and go, like, it, it is so clear what he is contributing here. Right. Because certain people who's, um, thumbprints are more visible it also limits what they do where it's like well but they're only picking material that conforms to their sensibility right. and he was so good at adapting to all of these well, things he in his he he said he was drawn to the script because it had that tonal shift yeah and he's just like no one's handed me a script like this like I just there's no one is doing this right now yeah and this movie is coming out 
the year after After Hours, and it's the same year as Blue Velvet. That's the other movie that this feels like really of a piece with. Mm-hmm. Is but after but hours. those yeah. movies are. Di- I mean, Blue Velvet. Oh, different, different. But yeah, After right. Hours and this both feel like they're coming out of the same right. sort of. But After Hours, I feel like yeah. it's all escalation. Yeah. Like it's just like things get crazier yeah. and weirder and crazier and weirder, and it's all one night, and it sort of almost feels like a dream he's having. And also, the key to After Hours is that he's kind of a piece of shit. Like the movie I mean, doesn't. I love that movie too. Right. Yes. Right. Hundred percent. Um, and then Blue Velvet is a little slower and is a little more like, right, let's take a peek at sort of the underbelly. But yeah. that's the same year as this. They are sort of companion movies in a weird kind they of way. I mean, Blue Velvet had that. Yeah, Blue yeah. Velvet has that tonal shift yeah. mid scene. Right, so, exactly. Which was right. very confusing to me because I saw it the same year. Mm-hmm. 86, yeah. And I will say I walked in five minutes late the first time I saw it. It was. <laughs> Kind like, of confused. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but I was laughing during scenes and I was like, oh, this is bad. I'm laughing because this is bad. Yeah, and then sure. the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, no, I think I'm laughing because it's intentional. They're doing their job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. And there's that notorious Roger Ebert review of Blue Velvet where he's like, I can't handle what they're doing to Isabella Rossellini in this movie. Yeah. Where he couldn't be on board with the tonal shifts. He's like, I love this person. And then you're. He was like, this is know, a film of incredible craft. Right. I don't understand why they're applying this craft to making me feel this uncomfortable. Which, you know, yeah. I think people just sort of had to catch up to. Yeah. Obviously, this is this isn't yeah. as sadistic, but like Ray Liotta is sort of a sadistic character. I mean, he's you know, yeah. Once he enters the movie, everything is sort of like I will say itchy. It, it is okay. Just talking about construction mm-hmm. now, and in order to get Jeff Daniels to murder Ray Liotta without uh-huh. the audience turning their back on him, it's a delicate construction of something, sure. right? I I wonder if there is a version of this movie where it's not an accident that, sure. that Ray Liotta runs into the into the knife. Would that be interesting? I also think the fact that you then Ray Liotta basically escalates his assault on Melanie Griffith to basically he's going to sexually assault her in sure. that scene. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it escalates a little bit. I wonder, was that necessary? That's sometimes a crutch for these Most types of, of movies. Uh, so I... I wonder if it would have been I, I look when I was sixteen, I maybe wouldn't have liked it if if it wasn't an it's accident. It's like a cold blooded murder, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know like what I mean? So my woman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't if and and you know, and if that wasn't part of it where he's going in there and like saying, Okay, fuck it, everything I've said about violence, I'm throwing it out the window because she's about to be raped. Sure. I don't know, you know. But such a it's such an interestingly complex moment too, because it's like, well, he's anti violence. But also in this moment with the stakes and the danger being this high, he does pick up the knife and he holds it out in front of him. Right. I don't. Th- I think he is not anti-violence anymore. I think right. He's, right. he's ended the movie just realizing that that's something people say. I, I think he is standing there trying to figure out exactly what he's going to do. But he's going to yeah. use that knife in some way, whether it's just to threaten him or it's to try to stab him in a non-lethal way. I mean, he's choking the guy to death. Right. I don't think yeah. he's choking him just to knock him out. Yes. You know what I mean? So and it's I, self-defense. Can I, I read mean, you a is... Demi quote? This yes. is an interesting quote about this. Uh, he Please. says when he's reading the script— there was an, a quote, there was this theme of the flip side of putting on your neat suits and committing a certain kind of financial violence as a successful yuppie corporation. And the dark side of that guy is Ray, who's more of like a fundamentally violent mm-hmm. person who solves problems, you know, yeah. with his fists. I added the with his fist. Demi didn't right. say that. But, that, but that's nice punch an up. interesting question is, is like Ray Liotta basically is out there. They're both inflicting financial violence. He's, right. they, they both yeah. have financial reasons for doing what they're doing. 100%, and right. just Jeff Daniels' characters uh, are socially acceptable. 
Right. And is right. that something that he figures out and why he quits his job? They they don't explain it, but but probably. He's yeah. certainly paying for his meals by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yes. So that's 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 probably <laughs> so he's learned one lesson. Exactly. Good for him. Yeah. Can we talk about how funny he is in this movie, by the way? <laughs> like so he funny. he there are two things that I would when I was sixteen and I saw this that me and my friend would do all the time, which are uh when when he's on the bed with Melanie Griffith and she brings out the maracas and shakes him and he <laughs> just suddenly mimes goes and like <laughs> shakes it. We would, I thought that was so funny. And then when she says to Melanie Griffith says to her mom that he's handy around the house and he mimes a hammer and goes, <laughs> <laughs> it's like just two parts that made me laugh so hard when I was 16. And Matthew Modine has a lot of those types of yeah. Yeah, he's scenes even more, in Married to the Mob. Right. Energy. And there's the scenes in Married to the Mob, like where they, they start, what is it, a roaring for Tony the Tiger and right. stuff like oh, where, where yeah. like it gets kind of a, it's little, a little extra real. It's too right. cartoony but in a way that- But it's more the tone of that movie. Look, I, yeah. I like that movie a lot. I just, seeing this, everything is so real in it. Yeah. Other, right. other than the parts that get married to the mob to me are like John Waters saying, now we talking, yeah. you know, and, and stuff like that, but- but um, I love Married to the Mob too. But. This is so tightly focused too. Yeah. You know, it's really just these two characters and then Leota. Like whereas Married to the Mob is more of like a big goofy ensemble yeah. that yeah. people are coming in and out. But is that thing you're saying? I mean, I'm I'm now just thinking about that like Blue Velvet after hours Married to the Mob. Right. Uh, not Married. I'm sorry. Something Wild something Trifecta, like- where it is like. Let's pull back the curtain of normalcy and sure. start acknowledging how weird things are. Yes. Like how fucking weird people are and all these things that we refuse to actually talk about that we're all thinking or feeling which or was doing. An, yeah, which was an 80s thing. Yeah. But because the 70s, what were they dealing with? They were just dealing with like, it's, hey, everyone drop out of like all this bullshit. And well, right. also the 70s are the first movies where they're like, yeah, society is fucked up. Right. The war, mental illness, violence. Right. You know, these are the movies where we can finally put this on the screen for the first time. Yeah. Like the 80s were this weird revival of a certain like 50s esque like sensibility of like but we have they're to. poking holes. Right. right. And and that was mm-hmm. rather than like in the 50s it being like a sense of like traditionalism, like this is proper. In the 80s it was also hidden behind this sense of like achieve, succeed, right. like I will have also the say status, have the in, wealth. In 1986, when I was seeing this, I'm seeing it in Republican Orange County. Mm-hmm. I height of the Reagan era. Height of the Reagan era. I mean, everyone involved in this movie, from the people on the soundtrack to the director to the actors, are ostensibly not enjoying what's going on in politics sure. at the time. Right. Um, and and that is most movies that were coming out at this time. One of my favorite movies of all time, Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest flaws of that movie is his happy ending is he gets a truck. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he goes in, and and the music swells and he's like, oh man. And right. he's got a nice truck. Yeah. And um so many movies are about uh financial security. Success. Yeah. 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 Success. yeah. And 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 having more than your neighbor has and all that. And and so this is one of those first films I think that I had seen that was that was about saying like Hey, no, it's not about that. He kind of throws it all away. He like throws he, it away, but it, not in a weird triumphant way where it's no. like, you know, the movie is unambiguously like, and now oh, his no. life he is Oh, no, he doesn't better. have the scene where he like no. Kobe Bryant right. takes 100%. off his jersey and no. throws he, it. He, he yeah. seems thoroughly depressed he, by the end of the movie, but the he, one thing- He's got no safety right. net. Right, but right. He's but he's just it is, learned, like, none of that was actually making me happy. Right. And I was spending so much energy trying to tell everyone else that I was happy. Yeah, where he's president, he's bragging about it all the time, and he doesn't give a shit. No. And like, whereas After Hours ends with him just showing 
showing up at work, sitting down, and the workday begins. Yeah. And that's more the sort of like, well, nothing is yeah. going to change. Right. By the way, I like the I like the scene where Jack Gilpin, Betty Gilpin's father, yes, uh, says, uh, "How do you figure a guy like Ray?" Oh, such and a good line. I th- it, my interpretation of it, because Jeff Daniels doesn't really have an answer, is is that. Jeff Daniels is saying, well, I'm a guy like Ray, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I killed Ray and it's society. It's, it's acceptable in society the way that it happened, but I am, we're no different. You know what I mean? But it's so, also that whole, I mean, Jack Hilpin's so good. And in that. He just looks at Jack Hilpin and he's like, oh, you don't get it yet. He's yeah. got such a face. You know? Yeah. Like such a dopey face, a great dopey face. But there's also this whole thing with the Jack Gilpin character where like, you know, uh, Daniels is so freaked out that Melanie Griffith is going to expose him mm-hmm. to Gilpin, which at that to point, every, yeah, to his right, boss, to right, everyone. Yeah. But he's so mortally terrified about the fact that Gilpin is there at the reunion. He has yes. to see all of this. He yes. can't deny it. He can't reframe it. And right. also the fact that, that Gilpin has been talking about him behind his back. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't even know that he right. doesn't even know that like, he's so obsessed with his image and being like, Hey, vice president, everything's cool. Right. The fact that Gilpin has been saying behind his back, like, Oh, this guy's destroyed. He wants <laughs> to, know? he wants to maintain a thing that he doesn't realize this guy is doesn't mocking him for. Yeah. He's already been seen through. Right. On that. And, yeah. the, and then immediately and Gilpin's once, like, Whoa, this guy, right, he's so impressed. And he's yeah. like, who fucking knew, yeah. you know, yeah. like what a good rebound. I thought this guy was done. <laughs> yeah. And throughout the way that he keeps on like, now he's like, well, let's get breakfast. Let's but get even, bro, let's hang out more. That's what that's what the great thing is, is even that is a sham. So right. by the end of it, when he's like, dude, why are you leaving? Like he's got right. he's finally yeah. gained, you know, it's like you've gained my respect again. Yeah. And it's like, and then that guy who attacked you is like so different than you. Like, right. how do you figure a crazy fucking guy like that? And it's like, well, you just don't get it yet. You're not, you're not maybe ever going to get it. Well, the other element too is like, how do you figure a guy like Ray is like, look, that guy's violent and scary. And now with the end we came to, I know I don't want to be him, but also how do you live that sort of like unattached to anyone's expectations or mm-hmm. perceptions of you? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get to that point, even if it's to a negative end right. where you are living that honest a life where Ray just doesn't give a fuck? Yeah, he just does what he's going to do. He right. does what he's going to do at every single moment. Yeah. Another movie this reminds me of in a weird way is a movie that also ends with a bloody confrontation in a bathroom, which is Fatal Attraction the next year. Uh-huh. It's the same kind of ending. It's all like stark white and then blood on the tiles and all right. that. But that's the movie where at the end, like, and they originally they shot it that Glenn Close killed herself and that was that. Right. And everyone was like, eh, it's not juicy enough. So they have it that Ann Archer like shoots her and then we're like back to normal. Like yeah. that movie is very much the opposite of this where it's like, thank God. Oh, thank God. The, the monster's been purged. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and society is back to the where last I like shot it. is like Michael Doug, the, the portrait of Michael Douglas and Ann Archer. Like they have a nice picture. It, like the camera like rests on it and yeah. It's like, it's okay. Like, yeah, the, don't worry. Home. The monster, yeah. If, yes. if there's a monster in your life, you can kill it as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I love about the fact that she's affected a new persona at the end of the movie where it's like, he didn't cure her. He yeah. didn't bring her to a normal state. That was more her trying to impress all the people who she actually cares about in I terms of judgment. I do think the blonde hair, I wish she'd gone back to the dark. Side. I agree. <laughs> Fully agree. And that's not for me like going, it gives me more of a boner. I just mean- <laughs> 
to say that this is just a great look. It's well, a very not only that, I just mean to say blonde. It, it was code in yeah, the eighties for yeah. like the blonde cheerleader, right. the, the all American dream girl. This sort of the, girl the John door. Hughes yeah. like yeah. lexicon, yeah, right. visual lexicon, very much. Right, and it is that thing. It's like it's the same as the Ali Sheedy thing, where you're like, it's kind of annoying that the movie, The Breakfast Club, ends with them being like, well, but now she they like fixed her, yeah, right? Yeah, she's yeah. Be it was so easy. She could yeah. just be pretty and normal looking. But it is thematically appropriate in The Breakfast Club because. That is what they all, they're all just like, can't I just be normal? Like, oh my God, you know, right. that is what's actually, you know, driving most of those characters. I, I just like that. I but feel it's like not a costume for her at the end. It's, right. No, it's, right. it's her it, no, going it's like, no good. Yeah. Uh, look guys, <laughs> that was a phase. Yeah, yeah. right. I've cleaned right. up. But, but the fact that this movie ends on, I feel like this take on the character that is her real self is the self that is constantly looking for other personas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, also it's fun to dress up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's right. like it's Absolutely. fun to wear. That's she fashion. looks fucking cool at the end. Right. You like know this, what I mean? It it's might like, change. She might change her style five times over the next five yeah, years. But, but that is the real version of herself is the one who is constantly adopting new styles. Sure. And it's and why shouldn't people? I mean, she like the cars she drives, her style. She looks fucking cool. She should be able to do that. And that's well, that's, that's not her like putting yeah. on poses or whatever. That's like her knowing how to dress. It's right. also right. the Demi filmmaking principle, which is like, why wouldn't I do the things that are most fun yeah why would i worry about the things that feel realistic or normal yes. or standard rather than making every scene the most interesting could be hiring the most interesting people yeah laying in the most interesting song on the soundtrack but, the like, colors fi- too every color yeah. feels very vibrant and, and, and married to the mob as well like every location uh where if they're just going out to dinner it is an interesting location right, right. and that's right th- that's so incredible to me of like you know you having just made my movie you go out on these location shoots and usually don't have a lot of money. And so you're just like, I was watching the scene where the guy pulls up to the, where Jeff Daniels is hanging out by the payphone, and he pulls up on his motorcycle with the dog in the back. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I would, they would try to talk me out of that on my last movie because, uh, the dog is, is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, sure. and the motorcycle is extra, like all this kind of stuff that, that, um, even the car in the between two ferns movie, we had to settle for the, for what the car was because, um, we needed, uh, a double for the car in another part of the country mm-hmm. and the car we had settled on, which was really unique and fun. They weren't going to be able to find yeah. that car on the other side of the country when we shot over there. Sure. So yeah. it was like, you have to, and they gave me three cars to choose from and we're like, they were normal cars and you have to pick one of these three because yeah. those are the only that we, you know, like just yeah. getting into those kind of things and watching Demi basically be able to do I'm, I'm sure it was a discussion, but that was important to him. And he yes. made sure that the, the resources were allocated to make sure that they could get the dog in the motorcycle because he happened to see that. Like that's a, in the credits, I think it's a famous guy with a motorcycle dog or something <laughs> yeah. that he was like, that's awesome. Let me put him in the movie. And every scene has those in a way of like uh, stuff that a normal line producer would be like, do you really need this in the movie? And I, for Demi, it's like, yeah, we do. I read a review. I think it was maybe a Married to the Mob review. I've been reading so many uh, reviews from the time for all these movies. I've been watching them. And someone referred to him as, like, the great collector of cinematic bric-a-brac. Right. <laughs> and there is, like, his aesthetic of, like, when you briefly see Melanie Griffith's apartment and you're mm-hmm. like, of course, that's exactly what it looks like. Of right. course, it looks like a two boots. Of course, yeah. it's, like, everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but even the scenes that take place in relatively normal environments, he 
finds ways to put things like that in, put different types of people yeah. in, put different energies, well, different activities. Even the scene where he goes and confronts Ray Liotta and, you know, the, the cops are there. That's, yeah. that's a way more interesting restaurant than would normally be totally. in that scene, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're scouting locations like that, you all, you are sort of, I was very attracted. I actually wrote a lot of the Between Two Ferns. I wrote it while we were shooting a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I would write a scene because I, our location manager, Eric, would bring me uh, a really inter- interesting location. So you would write to it. And I location. would write to it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the whole scene on the swans in the swan boat mm-hmm. was not written. Yeah. It just was like, he, we we had another scene that we had to do in that area. So I said, bring me other stuff in that area so we can fill the day. And he brought me that lake. Yeah. And I looked at it in the swan boats and I just like started imagining a scene of the two of them on this swan boat, you know what I mean? And that's, it's very inspiring. That's the cool part about making a movie sometimes. And I think that's what Jonathan Demi seems to, to have done is like just getting inspired by a place that seems real because when you're writing a script and especially back then, like everyone who wrote a script was pretty much like a white dude, right? (laughs) Right. With no, with no real life experience, you know, like anytime I read a comedy script nowadays, I can, I can always tell it's like a 28 year old Uh comedy writer who doesn't know anything about life. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Who's like great at jokes, knows nothing about life. So, um, but when you read a script, it's all very much like a a writer can't even imagine uh, an interesting place to put a scene in. No. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They just, they, they've all, all they've seen are other movies and so they write what has been in other movies, which is the diner or whatever and it d- is. Don't they often literally say like, like X place in X right. movie yes. like in a, a script? Lot, yes. Right. A lot of times it's like that. And so for the Ferns movie, what was interesting, and I feel like we were doing it sort of like what maybe Demi did, mm. is just I said to to our location manager, Eric, just bring me interesting places. Yeah. And then I'll write the script around that, you know, yeah. which, which uh, you know, some of them didn't work out. Actually, uh, uh, Lauren Lapkus's character's house we had uh, was so interesting <laughs> and just the n- most nuts place we'd ever been to in the middle of nowhere that had um, s- every room was decorated different and was so crazy. And there was a massage chair in one room. I was like, <laughs> okay, we're going to do a scene where she's like in a massage chair. Yeah. We ended up having to even just cut out the shooting cause we were so over budget. And I was like, we don't need it anymore in the yeah. second act. But, but that's, that's what I see in Demi a lot of times is he's, I don't know that it's the reverse for him of like, okay, okay, we need a, a a restaurant. Just find me interesting places as much as he sees places and goes, I want to shoot there someday. Yeah, and I think there's also like the bric-a-brac element of just him like collecting things. I mean, it's talked about so much that like he was so part of uh, sort of the Lower East Side art scene yes. that he was going to all these shows, going to right. theater. And so his mental Rolodex is filled with the sort of, yeah. Like, in uh, terms of know, like sister Carol, I, I right, why not yes. have Cecil Carroll right. be yes. run the diner you and, know? And, and then sing a and song. If you have the her, credits. then she should yeah, sing a sure, song. Right. right. Yeah. Which by the way, the other recurring element in the movie is the song wild thing, which I think yes. is really interesting. David Byrne, uh, in his opening right, he theme, works it into, the, works song. It into yeah. the song, which sets the scene. Then they sing it. When um, they pick up that family. As right. they're driving, they sing it a few different times in the car. And, and it's then, all like different cover, different energies. Yes. Different energies. And then and then she sings this incredible uh, 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 reggae version at the end, which is not lip syncing, which is great. Right. Because the version on the soundtrack is actually very different than yeah. the one. Right. I was trying to live. find, I, I'm gonna, I just have to rip it. It also. Oh, I have the soundtrack. 
I can send you. No, but I but mean the, 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 the version the, from, oh, the from the movie. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's no. It's one of those annoying things. But it yeah. also, you never think about how wild thing the lyrics include the words like I love you over and over again. Yeah. Like if you slow that song down, mm-hmm. it sounds very tender all of a sudden. It is the strange. theme of the song. Wild thing, right. I think I love you. Yes. Because, yeah. Yeah. I want to yes. know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for um, singing that. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. You have a beautiful voice. Oh, well, I don't think so. Share it with the world more often. Um,. And that's just to point out the script is basically what you're saying. Emacs Fry, he yeah. wrote this in film school. He was in his 20s. Yeah. And Demi just picks it off a pile. And Emacs Fry has a pretty nondescript career where he like. Oh, he is an interesting person, right? He Isn't is. He like he's a in sort the of New a, Order video. Yeah, right. he's, he's, he's an artist. So, so right. originally when I, when I watched it a couple of days ago, I was like, who wrote this? I right. bet it was a script that was just kind of normal that Jonathan Demi yeah. demiized, but I actually think Emacs Fry is a more interesting that weirdness person was than in that. It and Demi, I, just, I wish, I mean, yeah. Fox, he finally got an Oscar nominee for, for Foxcatcher, yeah. which is sort of wild and may he have been a situation. He wrote on The Alienist and Band of Brothers. Yeah. And he's it, had a weird the career. The Foxcatcher script also might've been like, he wrote it a long time ago and it got sort of like yeah. picked up and rewritten because 15 years like later. he was right. a big part of it. I remember reading Maybe interviews at the time where they were explaining the process. I mean, he was trying to make that movie forever. Right. But I think Bennett Miller, he wrote like Palmetto and Where the Money he wrote right. these sort of like hard boiled, you know, late nineties. Well, he also he wrote and directed Amos and Andrew. I've never seen that. Which is one of those things where you're like, this premise is so risky, but it is almost a film that someone should remake because there's kind of something in there. Hmm. Do you know what the premise of Amos that. and Andrew is, is? I'm gonna show you the poster. Amos and Andrew is I'm trying I'm trying to remember how this is set up exactly. Nicolas Cage is like a a petty Yes, I don't need to see the poster. I, rem- I remember it. Poster. I never saw it. He's like a petty thief. I mean, I think he's pretty similar to his like raising Arizona. Yeah, he's, he's like a redneck yeah, he's robber. A scumbem. Right. Scumbem. scumbem. He's a scumbem. He's a scumbem. But but the main crux of the movie, and he's he's reaching over to take Samuel Jackson's watch right on the poster. The main crux of the movie is that Samuel Jackson lives in a fairly wealthy suburban neighborhood. He's like an, an intellectual, right? He's like a writer. And the next door neighbors who don't know they've moved in see him bringing in their stereo system mm-hmm. and think that a black man is stealing the stereo system from the next door neighbors. Yes. And so they call the cops and it becomes a complete like sudden death SWAT surrounding the house situation. Right. Very funny situation. Very <laughs> deeply funny. And somehow Nicolas Cage ends up in the house with him. The entire premise of the movie is that he is actually a criminal and no one thinks he is. Right. And Samuel Jackson's in his own home and he's being surrounded yeah. by cops. I, you know, it's... The movie is not incredibly elegant. And sure. a, 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 an interesting theme. I don't know if it lends itself to a comedy these days. No, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to know... Yeah, what well, the deal I, was with him? I, yeah. I feel like what I, I remember wonder, hearing. Oh yeah, but no, was that Bennett Miller had been trying to crack Foxcatcher oh, for sure, a long sure. time and oh, couldn't, okay. and then hired Emacs Fry because he was such a big fan of the Something Wild script to take a pass at it. And to I try wonder to how like much of the yeah. script made it into the movie. That's that's what I'm interested yeah. in. Is for this is movie or for Something Wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. I have to think. I just don't think that him as a young guy in film school would have written scenes like the one in front of the church where the little girl comes up and asks sure. if he's okay. Right. Or even the convenience store scene. Right. Like it, a lot of it seems very- The way the convenience store scene just- that he stays there and it escalates. Like maybe yeah. you write the beginning of that scene, but then Demi's like- Man, yeah, I, I feel like here's what I, what I think probably happened is- in the script, it's he goes into a convenience right. store, buys binoculars, right. right, and that's about it. That's, and instead, it it 
in directing the film, and maybe it's giving Demi too much credit and Emacs yeah. probably not enough, but it just seemed very, every scene seems almost heavily improvised in a way. Definitely, but the bones of the script are so solid. Like, yes, I think sure. the movie is so perfect structurally. Yes. Even just the fact that it's like, you know, I, I know you were saying that you wish that they revealed a little bit more of themselves to each other, mm-hmm. but there's something kind of nice to the fact that like you as the audience member don't know any more than they know about each other. Yeah. That you have the exact same amount of information that the introduction is just him trying to, you know, stiff the bill mm-hmm. that, that it's this perfect little tiny, meaningless act of rebellion at the beginning of the film. Right. That like sets the stage for everything and that's being circled back around. At I the wish end. I knew why she likes him. That's the only other, other than yeah. he's revealed himself. Other than, and and this is true when two people are honest with each other and sort of strip away all the artifice from their life, that can get people closer. And maybe it's just that. I mean, look, people sure. fuck all the time for no better reason than they and, want to fuck each and other. He's, so it's a, like, he's a cutie. He's a cutie. good looking guy. Right. He yeah. and Modine are the two tall, floppy, golden lab boys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, Daniel's really, and like you he's said, such a dog. There's he is one of such, the funniest actors who's so not ostensibly like a comic actor. Well, that's what's so funny about Dumb and Dumber right. is no one wanted to put him in that movie. Right. And when I saw Dumb and Dumber, I was like, oh, he's being funny again. He's finally, right. <laughs> you know, but, but, there's that no, crazy yeah. story where like everyone told him not to do Dumb and Dumber, and because he wasn't quote unquote a comedy actor, they paid him fifty grand. Yeah. to be in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, That's it was crazy. Like Jim right? Carrey makes Jim like Jim Carrey got seven million. Yeah, huh? Right, but they and were Jim like, Carrey's been doing this for like five minutes, doing yeah. movies. He had right, had yeah. two big movies earlier that year. Well, the other, yeah. the other yeah. problem is they. I I read they never locked in his Dumb and Dumber contract. Uh, they oh. they meant to lock it in before Ace Ventura came yeah. out, oh, and then. Sure. They Once took too long, right, and the right. week opening weekend it came out, yeah. it jumped up. Right, and then every weekend after that, it kept jumping up a million yeah. until finally they were like, "Okay, seven million, yeah, we'll get it." But he was supposed to be like a hundred grand or something, right. right? Before Ace Ventura came out, because Cable Guy is the ninety-five, and that's twenty million, right? Yeah. That, that's right. how quickly that all. Yeah. Right. right. Well, it's, it's that that one that's year in that one calendar yes. year, yeah, three the mask, massive hundred yes. million dollars. Ace Ventura was in like spring, and Mask was in the summer, and yeah, and then Dumb and Dumber at the end, right? And and it was like, yeah, I mean, the the numbers are like. Yeah. It goes from him being like a hundred thousand guy to like a seven hundred and fifty right. guy to a seven million guy or something. Yeah, like within that. the space of months. But yeah. Jeff Daniels is just like, oh, I think I'll be good in this. And everyone's like, You're not gonna be good in this. <laughs> right. They're like taxing him. They're like, yeah. We'll let you do it, and but we're not gonna give you money. They, they wanted him to turn it down. That's why they offered him fifty yeah, grand. They were trying right. to insult him. But yeah. like he's arguably the best actor in that. I would he's funnier he's than so Jim Carrey funny in that in movie. movie. Yeah. Like yeah. great. That's not the movie where Jim Carrey I mean he's funny, but he doesn't yeah. leap like I don't remember his his parts as much in that movie. No, and I feel like Jim Carrey has been very open about the fact where he's like, the whole thing was like Daniels and I together. Sure. Coming off of two movies where it's just like Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey and everyone else just sort of like talking at him. And going, oh, you're being weird. Right. That that movie so much like, it is bizarre watching that movie and remembering like, oh, it has genuine scenes of emotion in it. Yeah, Cable Guy's 96. I just wanted okay. to correct the record. I'm sorry. Because he does the Ace Ventura sequel in 95. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it is interesting. Right. They they don't overdo it, though. There are... There no, are, I think it's like a good balance, but you're it's like... It's weird. Like, Ace Ventura literally has one scene where he drops the Ace Ventura stuff where, like, he feels bad about whatever he did to Courtney Cox. Right. I don't remember what it was. All I remember <laughs> is 
he goes he he goes into the room to go like hey and almost to apologize and the Ace Ventura character is dropped and then yeah. she's kidnapped and so he doesn't have to do it right but it's like a bummer whereas like you have that one like I'm sick and tired of being sick and yes. tired scene well they, dumb ta- dumb they always talk like about good. that scene about how everyone wanted that scene cut yeah and Jim Carrey and everyone fought for it to be in there because they said well this is the point of the entire movie which is interesting. They're also the characters are so fucking dumb that you at least need to like understand what's driving them emotionally. Yeah. Because yeah. none of their decisions make sense on a scene to scene basis. Right. Watching this, you go like, and you know, uh, uh, theatrically released studio comedies are barely a thing anymore. Sure. Yeah. But you're like, could you imagine if you went to a theater to see what was ostensibly a mainstream studio comedy film and there was a movie with this much personality? Yeah. Sort I don't of this know. Much crap? If anyone, I I don't, I really, I know why I saw it. I don't know why anyone in the world would have seen it. You know what I mean? It it, it was marketed. You're right. Look at the poster. It's marketed like, hey, it's fun. This is going to be a fun time. And Married to the Mob was the same thing. I feel like he was trying to like make a hit. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, they did okay. And then weirdly did better with critics. And he was like, no, I want to make something mainstream. Like, I think he felt this pressure to make something that connected with audiences. And yet then he's like, he makes a serial killer movie movie that everyone else is like, ah, this is too gross. And that's, that's the one. And then his AIDS drama is a blockbuster. Like he makes two on paper, incredibly uncommercial films. Sure. I mean, Sounds Like Lambs was commercial film. I mean, that was a big bestseller. You know, but it's but, so, I mean, you think about it. But it is Wittgenstein, funny to think so that people gruesome. are like, this is, right, this yeah. is so too, much, too much. Like, we would so rather violent. watch Silence of the Lambs than this fun Married to the Mob. <laughs> right, right. Wait, you're telling me this lady's married to the mob? Yeah. Uh, I'm out. Meanwhile. Yeah. Um, should we play the box office game? I feel like we yes. uh, should wrap up. Yeah, I feel like, is there anything else we want to talk about? There's a little moment, it's just a tiny thing I want to call out, but when uh, Ray Liotta has sort of captured... Uh, Melanie Griffith and he's driving her into uh, the motel they're going to stay mm. at. There is literally a garbage fire. Mm. New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. There's just a, That's a coding garbage can on yeah, fire. Yeah, and it's yeah. such a perfect, Is there an acapella like, group around it? Or? <laughs> no. That's how dire <laughs> things are. Wow. No. Not even a doo-wop group will surround this garbage can. But honestly, that's uh, that's the kind of thing that, again, back to this point, your line producer would try to don't talk do you this. out We of. need to shoot. We don't have time. I went to scout this um, diner, and when I went to scout it, it was when just the regular uh, people were there, and I uh, I saw this woman in a in a wheelchair there, uh, like an older woman, and I and it suddenly brought back all of my memories of like growing up in a in a place that had a lot of diners like this, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's what this is. Is this is a place that families go to, and yeah. this is a place that where it's like th- this gets you know grandma out of the house and you know as hard as that is for her this to my mind shitty diner you know a place that i would never like if you were like hey where do you want to go out to lunch i would never even think about but that's the special place for them right and so i said you know make a note of it when we shoot here i want to have uh an older woman in the wheelchair um, because that just made it real to me, yeah. And, and uh, and that became a problem, <laughs> right? They were like, "There's, it's not. There's no need for it in the script. There's no need for right. why do you want this? What? Yeah. What? It's gonna, it's gonna distract. It's gonna cost. Are gonna, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. gonna cost this much money. Why? Why are you gonna watch this? And weirdly, it it with the blocking the way it ended up being, she is not in frame. Yeah, and it's such a bummer. Mm. To me, that's the interesting thing of 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 trying to do that balance of make something real and make it a fully lived in world that people are going to recognize and go like, Oh, I understand why you're shooting here. 
um, other than just someplace pretty. I think that's... Well, it's also the thing I feel like people who haven't... Like, you you work on one film or one TV show, and your your perception immediately shifts from why aren't most things better to how does anything ever end yes. up good? <laughs> yes. And so much of it is in the way that you were saying, like, you know, they they don't want to cast an Asian actor unless it's explicitly in the script. Sure. Mm-hmm. That all the things that kind of make a movie transcendent, the little unspoken things, the things yeah. that aren't overstated, the details that are unnecessary to build out the world are things that 15 bean counters come in and go, we really don't and need this. It truly is not – the the studio or the producers a lot of times it's it's time you're you're fighting against time right and it's allocation of energy and money and everyone's just and thinking about like where are you going like, right. sometimes it's like where are we going to find this person like I I uh, the the guy in Fargo the Asian actor in Fargo is yeah. so funny so you know? and he's like speaking in that Minnesota accent yeah. and I'm Mike I, it it may have been they just found the right actor mm-hmm. for the role and yeah. he happened to be Asian or. Maybe he was Asian in the script. I don't know. But I'm imagining in the script it being Asian and someone coming to me as a director and saying, like, I don't know where we're going to find this person. Right. This is just going to be too hard. Can we just compromise and make it, you know? Well, it's, that's the thing. It's so difficult. Everyone in every position has so many things to think about at any point in time that uh, very often people are trying to find the path of least resistance. Yes. And want to pick their battles very sparingly. And to have a movie like this where there's, like, this much Demi in every single shot. Yes. When there doesn't need to be. When there's a very, very simple conventional version of yeah. this movie. You know? the, the opposite of it is the opening montage. That's the flip right. side of it. The opening montage is all these New York shots, and they are not the pretty. I was watching no. it kind of going, these are not pretty New York shots. No. Like there's that famous, uh, 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 not scene, but but part of the book about uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, where the the second unit guy uh, goes off and gets a uh, a shot of a plane landing and spends like a ton of money on it. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? This is not, not even going to make, and he's, he's trying to do it right at sunset. He's yeah, trying, right, he's trying right. to get the plane landing at sunset and it costs a ton of money. Yeah. And they're like, this is not ever even going to make it into the movie. Why, why are you spending this much money on a plane landing shot? And it's in there for like a quarter of a second. Meanwhile, like Demi is doing a montage trying to set the scene of his movie and the shots are not the star. The yeah. song is the star. Right, right. And it truly He's is. He's making a music video for this David Byrne song. He is. Yeah. And and that's what's interesting is, is like it's suddenly the shots are not v- pretty and they're not really uh, interesting shots of New York. So you start focusing on what is essentially a theme song to a movie, right. which is something they don't really do anymore. And he's letting David Byrne set the tone for the movie that's about to follow. About to follow, yeah. I noticed, true. so the the score for this movie is Laurie Anderson and John Cale. Yes, yeah. and John Cale had done the score for, is it Caged Heat? It's one of the early Corman right. movies. Right, and Laurie Anderson did uh, uh, Swim to Cambodia. Right. Um, which didn't have that music in the stage production. Right. Um, did, did they, do we know, did they do it together? I don't know if it was a because collaboration. Once, the music is fairly incidental. I mean, the score. But once Ray yeah. Liotta enters, the entire score changes. Right. The tone, so the instrumentation. Right. I yeah. wondered, I couldn't find an answer to it, but if it was like, you cover the comedy half, you cover this. Mm. I don't know which one did what or if they were working together on everything. Yeah, he uses a lot of um, pop music throughout the first half of the right. movie. And and then, yeah, I, I in fact, when I saw they had done the score, I made a mental note to try to listen to it. And I don't remember any of it until really kind of the final scenes. It becomes, you know? right. I mean, that's the scene where it stands right. out the most is in the bathroom, but it becomes more of like a synthy thriller yes. score. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, box office game. Great movie. Yes, yes, box great office movie. Game. I think it's a great, great movie. movie. I think it rules. I really love it. It's yeah. been so much fun watching these movies. 
yeah. the 80s output. We oh. haven't really done the 90s movies yet. I love when a chef runs out, that trope, and chasing oh. them. He's that got shot a, also so lasts. But it's not. Friend. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Charles, Charles, Charles Napier. Charles Napier. Yeah. Right. I rate chef. That's his credit. That shot lasts so long. Yeah. yeah. Like, you keep on going, like, wow, they're really making Charles Napier run here. Right. And he's running for, like, 45 seconds into traffic. Yeah. Can I also say that that reminded me of the fact that the car shots in this movie are done really well. Yeah. Um, I, I just directed a lot of car stuff and was trying to figure out how to do it in a way that was like aesthetically fit in for our movie. But on a technical and level, it is hard. There are only so many places. There's only so many ways. Right. That's what our script supervisor said to me at a certain point. She said, everyone always tries to figure out a new way to do it sure. and then finds out that there is only one way right. to do it. But, um, but I, I watched, I had never directed a car scene before or really anything. Um, but uh, so I had, I watched a lot of different ones and the squid and the whale was one that I was trying to sort of base all of our car stuff on. But the interesting thing about the car stuff in this movie is it's all real. It's all done practically, which is very important to the reality of the movie. I, I personally do not like car scenes in, they're in big budget movies now where yeah. you can tell it's a green screen. Yeah, you're not looking it. at the road. And it's yeah. crazy. It, it it's, affects the performance. It's not even the yeah. not looking at the road or anything. It's like they they sacrifice. They go, we want to, the actor, it's usually we want the actors to be able to focus on the acting and not having to moving drive car, around right. thing, a moving car, you know? So they usually sacrifice it for there or the, or for some reason they want the shot to look prettier. Right. To me, it is a bad trade-off. Yeah. The, the reality of the car shots in these movies is so great. You can tell they're there and that scene where, where Napier is chasing them is so great. It's, it's just insane. It's a practical shot yeah. of of the car out racing this guy running yeah. at him and it's he's running as fast as he can they're driving you just you know, watch him lose distance yeah. every but, moment but the yeah. one thing i want to say about the car stuff that i thought was really interesting i had never noticed before is the fact that um demi shoots it from different angles when, when he first gets into the car mm -hmm. and then all the way to going to the hotel he shoots the three parts of that three different ways yeah and so he does french overs the first thing, uh, and then he does uh, close-ups from from the front to to each person, and then the next time he does it, he does the two people in the shot close-ups from the front, and it's it's I think he's doing it probably to make them not look samey. He's breaking sure. it up that way, but I also wonder if he's doing it intentionally in in order, like usually you do a French over because it's like you're peering in on a. Mm -hmm conversation that you it's a little more you know like oh wow we're gonna let you into this thing that but it's interesting i wonder if he did that intentionally if he so. wants his, to like up the yeah i mean like sansa lamps is the most extreme example of it right. but his coverage always feels so intentional and in a way that you know he had to fight for because people would be like we don't need this shot right. mm -hmm. this isn't an effect this isn't an important thing and yeah. it's not just him collecting coverage for the sake of having editing options it always feels like he has very specific setups that can change within a scene to yeah. reflect the shifts in the dynamic between the two people talking. They're doing a they're doing a car thing, and I don't know what tunnel it is, but basically they could have gotten away with not shooting yeah. in that tunnel, you know, probably, and probably annoying, probably annoying to everybody. Yeah. But he knew he needed to to feel like this character is leaving his world, yeah. and it can't it can't be a. a a CGI thing or it can't just be like, oh, we'll shoot it inside you the car. You need that energy matter. at that point in the movie. Yeah, so. What a good fucking director. And yep. last thought, uh, Ray's apartment reminded me of a lot of the kinds of houses that I hung out in growing <laughs> up. And it was like, I don't know. It was just like weird to see it on the screen and yeah. sort of 
thinking about her character and like escaping the hometown stuff. I was like, this movie happy. hit you. I was kind of happy that I'm in New York City and like have moved on with my life. Right. Sure. That. Yeah. It is interesting. I could tell this time that that that's a set and also the hotel where they first hook up. Where yes. No, that's a set as well, you know? Because uh, so much of it is so real. Yeah. Well, yeah. The part, you know, the part where like Jeff Daniels is looking out and going, oh, not much of a view. And then she comes over to kiss him and he like shuts the curtains. Then it turns into a set after yeah. that, you know, which is like great. But, um, but it, 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 yeah. So you're saying it, directing a film has ruined movies for you, essentially. No, now no, you no. see the scenes I mean, everywhere. I do talk, I, I would talk I'm to sure. some of my crew people about what they focus on when they watch movies. Okay. And I, our script supervisor, I was like, do you just, are you just looking for flubs the right. entire yeah. movie? And she's like, yeah, a little bit. Mm. One thing that, that in our movie, I kind of, because of the way we were shooting, I was like, we cannot pay attention to continuity. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, right. you know, he shot a Peter Dinklage interview in the afternoon and then everyone changed clothes because they're getting on the road <laughs> and you know what I mean well, like it's also knowing your priorities where it's like you're not going to throw out a take especially if there's this much improv involved where well, something magical happened continuity, that's, that's just the because Scorsese continuity thing. fucked you up right like watching Goodfellas I watched it three times that summer yeah. and the third time I watched it I was like oh shit this, this is a continuity nightmare but he, ju- he just doesn't care he's yeah. like cigars go in and out of uh, Servino's mouth yeah from behind like he'll have one in his mouth on his on his close up and then it cuts to behind and it's gone and I, like I uh, was, was in the pilot for Vine the worst thing Scorsese's ever directed. Oh yeah, that uh, was pretty bad. Where were you I again? I think that is uh, that might be. I mean, true. He's a phenomenal career. I do think it might be. That the might worst be the thing worst thing he's ever, thing put, he's his ever his put his name on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but he was but great. Still, you know, I watched it. it was it wasn't bad. And he nice. just he sort of openly said he's like, you know, I, I I'm I'm so jealous of these people who can keep track of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I try. Right. I just you, don't know how to do it. Paying someone to do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know how to do it. You know. I I, yeah. I mean, it stresses me out too much. I I just let people do whatever they want. and I pick the takes I want. Right. But he would like talk he about that where he'd be like. He doesn't really care though. And then he'll, he'll throw in, you know, he doesn't, continuity errors. He's like, it's fun for the that, audience. He said that even about spatial geography though. Right. He was like standing in a corner and he was like pointing his fingers right. at different things. Whereas like Spielberg mm-hmm. is notoriously the guy right. who walks onto a set and he's like, of course the camera's right. will be here. Like, and Cannavale was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, 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 I can't figure it out. <laughs> and he was like, you can't figure it out. And he's like, no, nah, I'm no good at it. When I was younger, I tried to do it. Now I, I, I just put the camera whatever I want. And I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, that thing never makes yeah. sense to me. It is. A, it's kind of incredible here. Martin Scorsese go like, I, I don't understand the 180 rule. Yeah, I I was trying to figure it out on my movie, and I you know I'm so happy that Megan Rutledge, who was my script supervisor, and um, my DP Ben Kasolki, and and uh, my first AD Cassie Lehman, they all like sort of helped me every mm-hmm. scene, and they were trying to say like, well, normally you would do it this way, do it this way, but mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'd be like, I just see. I see it being over here and they would go, well, that breaks the line. And I would go, I don't know. I just see it. And, and there's stuff in the movie. I'm not saying like, I'm a visionary and they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) Sure. But I, they did say to me like, well, if you see it, like who gives a shit, let's do it. And, and there are scenes in the movie that technically break the line, I think. And, and, um, but they're, they're really vital to the movie, and I'm glad we it's did it. It's also like but. if you're making a comedy, the, the angle that will make it funniest should trump. Sometimes I don't even do it that way, though. It's just oh, like sure. they're, they're just like interesting angles that I'm like, I, I feel like we should get it from over here. I don't know yeah. why. And I think I was wrong a couple of times because there is one shot of Zach uh, in Will Ferrell's office that I was like, I just need the I need this to feel like a bigger space. Can't we back up? And we only use it for literally like... <laughs> 
a second and a half, yeah. you know, because I don't think it fits with the rest right. of the coverage, you know, so I'm probably wrong and I wasted time doing it. But um, anyway. Um, all right. So the box office game, I'm going to uh, look at the top five for 19, November 7th, 1986. I try, I try to guess try the box office, Scott, because guess. I'm a weird person with a broken bear. Uh, yeah. This movie opened yeah. at number seven, uh, $1.8 million. It kind of unlucky, grossed, number seven, if you ask Sure. Yeah. I've grossed like $8 million. It was not a big hit. Yeah, that's pretty nice. And it got some Golden Globe nominations and nothing else. It didn't get the Oscar. Right. Traction. It got it's the right. only Demi movie. All of the three 80s. of them. It got actor, actress, supporting yeah. at the Golden Globes. Ray right. Liotta feels like he should have been a slam oh, dunk. Yeah, 100%. I think I when I watched it, I was expect because the LA Times talked about him so much. That's yeah. how I knew about any movie or album was the LA Times. Yeah. They talked about how he's like suddenly makes this big splash. I was yeah. expecting him to win the Oscar that year. But it is that crazy thing, as you said, this is the only Demi movie between 1980 and 1993 to not at least get an acting nomination. Yeah. Keep going, yeah. Beloved's the next one, yeah. That right. doesn't get an nomination, right? That doesn't. Right. No, I'm saying everything oh, yeah, sure, between sure. Philadelphia and Melvin well, and Howard, including the supporting those two. actors that year, were Michael Caine for Hannah and Sisters, who won. Mm-hmm. The two platoon guys, Berenger and Defoe. Yeah. Dennis Hopper for Hoosiers, which is sort of like a double nom with Blue Velvet. Uh, makeup yeah. for Blue Velvet. Right. Well, it's the same year. Oh, right, right. That's the thing and I then, always forget. Right. And it was then Denholm, yeah. Elliot, and Room Review, which is sort of the weird one, but I think that's like, oh well, you know, he's brilliant. great old guy. We love yeah. him. Right. Yeah. All right. So number one of the box office. Seven weeks in, it's the most successful film of the year, bar Top Gun. So it's the second highest grossing film of yep. the year. Remember a couple episodes back when you yeah, told me that yeah, Top Gun yeah, didn't yeah. do well no, in I theaters? Forgot. I was, I was, I was, you know, I have to, you don't have to go back to No, that. but I want to drag you a little bit here. David argued that Top Gun didn't do was, well in theaters was, and only connected on VHS. I was flopping what? it with another thing. I, I, risky business. Risky business. I, I was, it was Pretty a risky move. Classic David's. When, when I was 16, my, I remember my health teacher, I had an, I had a student TA period. So I was like back in the teacher's lounge mm-hmm. like for a for a period and i remember my health teacher wanting to know what kind of movies i liked and he's like have you seen top gun i'm like i'm not gonna see top gun <laughs> he was like what do you like i was like i like something wild you know mm-hmm. and there are certain movies back then that i intentionally did not see that i still have not seen to this day top gun is one pretty mm-hmm. woman like all these films that i was like were the biggest mainstream, mainstream like com- everyone yeah. talks about how much they love it the avengers of their day sure i guess so yeah pretty but women I, and I, I do want to see Top Gun, Top Gun eventually, and especially before the sequel. Comes. The new should one I, looks pretty fucking rad. Should I see Godfather? Yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Good movie. Watch it. What well, was well, the second maybe. most successful film of 1986? Well, that's what I'm trying to think. It's a comedy of, of this week or, or, or of, of, the year. of the year. I mean, it's number one. I believe it's been number one for like seven weeks. It's a pretty cool movie. <laughs> I guess so. Ben likes it. It's not Beverly Hills Cop? No, that's the next year, I believe. That's 87? No. no. Beverly Hills Cop was... Yeah, isn't it? Wait, Beverly Hills Cop is like 84. 84. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 84. That's Murphy right after he left SNL, right? Beverly Hills Cop is the first post-SNL thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, or, yeah but, okay, but, but that's, that's not, not the, the movie we're that's talking not the about. It's 1986. It's a comedy. It's, it's the com- second highest grossing uh, film of the year. It gets an Oscar nomination. It's a total out of nowhere hit. It's, um, if I say the thing that it is, you're going to get it. It gets right one away. nomination? Uh, probably. It's a just, real strong character type. Hmm. It's a really strong character, like an archetype. Is it Crocodile Not, Dundee? There you yeah. go. Oh. And it gets nominated for Best Screenplay. Like, right. Did you see Crocodile Dundee, the other sort of I As a student of, of comedy. Year. I think I did. I know I had it on tape. Like, I, I feel like I caught up with it on cable and taped it on cable. It's a real uh, quotable sure. movie. What, give us one. Uh, that's not a knife. Okay. Th- this is a you knife. You got another one? Uh, I like how you started your impression on the second knife. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a knife. <laughs> This is annoying. 
that is such a weird fucking phenomenon. It is. It's crazy. I also love how like Australians were like, yeah, he's like not a big deal here. Well, like, the I movie remember was... watching the Paul Hogan show on yeah. channel KCOP in LA because there were, it was very weird. There were a couple of shows that were like uh, export or imports mm-hmm. rather from other countries that would show like titties or something on local <laughs> television. Just no one was really checking in. I, like, it was very weird. And yeah. So I remember I, whenever my parents would leave my brother and I alone, um, in the house, uh, I remember we would turn on, and this is like in the early eighties or yeah. whatever. So the Paul Hogan show was one of those where I just assumed he was like king shit. And he was, he was like Benny right. Hill. Or that whatever. was the thing. Yeah. Everyone like was like, Oh, he must be their chief export. This is, right. they're giving us right. their finest. And yeah. they were like, no, he's like, he's one of the guys. Yeah. You see my TV. Sure. He's like the Wayne's brothers for <laughs> us. Right. All right. Number two, it's a, it's an Oscar winner. It's a major director who we talked about on this episode. Uh, I feel like at this when this is coming out, it's kind of slumming it for everybody. But this movie is great. Now you watch this movie, I feel like you have a great time. It's not Scorsese. It is Scorsese. It is Scorsese. It is. So it's after After Hours. It's after After it's Hours. The one right it's after- a little bit him, I think, being like, I need to uh, make a hit. It's a sequel. Oh, Color of Money. Yeah, it's in the way that you use it. I, I like that movie. I'll tell you what he said I to like me it. about that movie. I, I didn't realize you could make money making pictures. <laughs> sure, that's the first one. <laughs> yeah, he was like, someone came up to me. They said, you know, Marty, you can get paid for doing this. Uh, the third one is, uh, third, number three is a comedy that I feel like is just now seen as sort of like a, an ultimate example of, of Hollywood offensiveness. Uh, oh, it's bad. It's not Soul Man? It is Soul Man. It is yeah. Soul Man. I mean, like, I, I don't know what el- anyone else yeah. would say about that movie. Yeah, it's the one that people can't believe actually exists. Right. I mean, they were. In the 80s. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were doing it to, yeah, I don't know. I can't right, do there's it. a little bit of it. like, well, no, there's we're commenting, but, it, but at this point. Yeah. 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 Number four is much like The Color of Money, a major director being like, I just got to make something crowd-pleasing. Is it Coppola? It is. Oh, Is uh, it Peggy Sue Got Married? Yeah. It's Peggy Sue Got Married, which has a young- Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Yeah. And- From Amos and Andrew. And Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, Nick Cage is so fucking good in that movie. He is. He's yeah. incredible in that movie. Uh, number five, this is the one I did not know. It's like a drama, like an adventure movie made in China, like made in China, filmed in China, starring white guys, you know, like uh, huh. some kind of period adventure movie. I've never heard of this movie. It's based on a book. I, I, never, I, heard I'm, never heard of it. Uh, it's a De Laurentiis production. It was like oh, incredibly boy. controversial at the time. It, I think it's fairly racist. I think the Chinese government completely objected King to Kong? it. King Kong? It's... I, I Match mean, most of the clues he just gave. Fair enough. Um, wh- who's, who's the... Brian s- Brown is the star. Jesus Christ. Uh, I think cocktail. I know what movie you're talking about. Now I'm trying to remember the name of it. Scott, do you know this movie? Oh, no. no I don't. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Tell me the title. Taipan. Was not going to guess. Okay. I was thinking of a different movie. I was movie. just looking. I was just like, there's no way these guys know what this yep, is. No, yeah. absolutely not. Never okay. heard. No. And, but it was popular that year? Uh, no, it was a bomb. Uh, this oh, is its oh. first week. and oh, it, I mean, it didn't this do is what well. came out the week. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it was. it's number five. Everything else. So well, it made more money than something, something wild. wild. It That's did. It, and I, it never opened. heard of it. And yeah. uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash is, is number six. Hey. Uh, you know, whoopee. Whoopee. Yeah. Um, but thank you for coming in and talking yeah, about thanks. this movie. Yeah, thanks. I really love this movie. I've loved it now for almost 20 or 35 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Thirty-five. So, the thirty-fifth year anniversary will be in uh, in uh, a couple, uh, a couple years. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, I enjoyed watching it again. Enjoyed. 
examining what makes it work. Um, and uh, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, what, come back anytime. What a pleasure. What a privilege. We've talked a lot about uh, how much uh, unconsciously yeah, how we much started out ripping us. off yeah. everything from you. Oh, good. Because you yeah, were kind oh, yeah. of like the the urtext in terms of funny podcasting, I think, for both David and I. Mm. And almost everything that's good about the show is some distillation of something we ripped <laughs> off from you. Yep. And almost well, everything bad about from, the show. Uh, from Letterman as well. So. Well, sure, right. sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day— we're all just uh, ripping off Jack Parr, right? Yeah, we're That's all just ripping off Adam or Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, watch uh, the B- Between Two Ferns movie on Netflix. Yeah, if you want to see a movie that where obviously there comes <laughs> I don't know the what line. I'm doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and watch it. And Comedy Bang Bang, and I don't know anything else you'd want to plug. Well, that's it. You're touring right now, but I guess that's, it'll be oh, over. that'll be over with. Yeah. yeah, although I may I may do some next year, but cool. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, there, there's and a freedom. I love freedom. Freedom, freedom oh, should, yeah, that's the best. It, it's it's out on Thursdays, probably now while you're listening to right. it for free. Right. Uh, there is a scene in between two firms of the movie that I find so funny uh, that I I find the scene itself funny, but the thing I find funniest is knowing how much uh, time and energy and money you must have put into it. Which one? It's the uh, the end effect of the McConaughey. Oh yeah. A lot of time right. and money. Right, yes. where I think what's actually happening on screen is funny. Right. But th- thinking about the logistics of planning that. Uh, you know, we we built a fake set that we shot most of the public access yeah. stuff in. That is the fake, fake set. We built a sure. second hallway yes. for that stuff. It's it's incredible. On, a, on, a, on an angle. That's nuts. Yeah. It's not. So it's, uh, yeah, so we rebuilt that set on an angle so that the tidal wave could uh, look better and they could flow down that hallway. Uh, it's not. Easier, yeah. When he floats by the window. Yes, that's yeah. another part that, uh, I have a video, I want to put it out, with Ryan Gall, who plays Cam in mm. it. I've talked about it on his episode of Comedy Bang Bang where we talked about the movie about how he could not stay underwater longer than five seconds. <laughs> um, so there's a shot of him floating dead underwater and... We have used as much of it as <laughs> well, we can, but I have a video of the everything where he gets pulled down by the divers uh, and then like opens his mouth and then immediately like swims <laughs> up to the surface. That's incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a lot. I mean, it's pretty crazy what I was allowed to do on this movie. And That's, where, that was and my where thought. All the money went. I cannot believe they allowed him <laughs> wonderful. to yeah. do this. Yeah. Uh, it's your it's a blank check. Little bit. Uh, sort of, it was. Kinda, yeah. yeah, I'm not receiving another one. But, uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. Yep. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Sure. Thanks to Andrew Gouda for our social media, Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for our artwork, Lee Montgomery for our theme song. Go to T Public for some real nerdy shirts. Uh, next week we have, remind me of the chronology here. Star Wars Episode Nine. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, Christmas. Next week's Christmas. Next week's wow. Christmas and rise a merry one to all of you. Sky- a Skywalker will rise. Yep. So, nice. Get ready for that. Yeah, and then get ready for uh, 2020 as we continue to talk about Jonathan Demi yeah, for several more mob, months. Sounds the mm-hmm. Lambs. Good movies coming up. Good movies, good episodes in yep. the bank. Yep. Uh, so stay tuned uh, for that. And as always... You guys don't have a sign-off? Oh, we're trying you to make up one something. every time. I'm trying to think it's the, the opposite of what you do, except you crowdsource it, which makes it easier. And as always, what's up, Hot Dog? <laughs> I 
that's right. That's that's good. There I was go. trying to find the longer version when he starts talking about that rebellious act of financial maneuvership yeah. he did. What is it? Come on, uh, rather rather be a, a live dog than a dead podcast. I don't know. That was the other one I yeah. was thinking of. Right. Yeah. I don't even know the first one that you're that you said. It's when he's in the car and she's like been pegging him as a rebel and he owns she up to She's pegging him. <laughs> she's pegging him. It's after that long like 45 minute pegging scene. Yeah. Um and and he he goes I'm forgetting the term he uses but he's like everyone told me not to sell this thing and I went out and I sold it. Oh yeah, right. It's some stalker. I was bond, trying to find right. that longer. Unis. I think that's such right. unis. 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 Bonds. Right. And he says it so casually, like she knows what he's talking about. 